Sunday night I'd watch the practice with none of my friends I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends But I'm out of practice Michael Indeglio. Way back in high school, most every night, my mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo, what could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, then stream it on Hulu. I'm in a fat guy shame spiral, but at least I wasn't bullied by a six-year-old. You catch up with your friend for the first time in a year, and he uses everything you said against you. Everything. Oh, please, that is a deep well, sir. And welcome to the Out of Practice Podcast. It is a weekly podcast in which Mike and I discuss David Kelly's award-winning series, the practice this week we are up to season six episode nine inter arma silent lesions we've got some uh got some important legalese some latin perhaps this week uh so how's it going i know how it's going because you were at my house literally yesterday yeah what a what a fun trip i was uh you know for two people who are who are pretty generally socially awkward we had a a great time it was wonderful I had a wonderful, I had such a great weekend. What a great weekend I had. I did. Well, it's not over yet. Uh, That's that's true. Well, I went out to, yeah, go ahead. It feels like we haven't podcasted in forever. We're already talking. We haven't talked nine days. I I got to go see Jen out in Connecticut uh, into the woods, which was just so much fun for a variety of reasons, which I will share. It was my first time in a theater to see li- a live performance it was uh so that was moving it was the first time seeing jen perform since i saw her in fiddler on the roof over a year ago right and you know i don't want to i've talked we talked ad nauseum about into the woods the yiddish production and it was wonderful and it it is was such an accomplishment for her uh, in a variety of different ways for her career, for just to just to learn a language that's, that it's still in, incomprehensible to me that some, you could learn a show in a different in that kind of a difficult language. Um, it, but the thing is, is that you know it, it's not a very singy role, and they, she has they, this glorious voice, right? That she got to use, but you know, n- not really stretch. And they had her behind a, a, a wake a makeup wall really, for that part. And right. so she was wonderful as a character in that show, and, and I appreciate it. However, Into the Woods is um, is one of my favorite Sondheim masterpieces. And the Cinderella role gets to sing some yeah. just musical theater canon staples. And the production was beautiful. It was moving. She was beautiful and wonderful. And it was so, it was so inspiring to see her do what she does and, and i i'm so excited to roll the clip you t- recorded guys 
I, I bought a new field recorder to like bootleg this, get a bootleg recording. And I had it set up. Uh, my friend who was going to come with me couldn't come. So I had a spare seat. I like, I, and as I'm maneuvering, I thought that I had busted the the SD card, but what happened is as I was maneuvering to get the perfect positioning of the microphone, and then I decided to just, because it auto starts a new file every gigabyte, I was like, perfect, I can just set it and forget it. And guess what? I set it and forget it, but I apparently never hit record. So, or I hit a button that, that something happened. What I, what I captured was 24 seconds of bird sounds. <laughs> bird atmosphere that they had playing pre-show and mm -hmm. uh long story short it, it's gonna live in the ephemeral recesses mm. of my memory uh, but it was wonderful it was really great and then on the drive home the following day i i stopped by and saw my buddy keith's new house which was wonderful uh and i got to hang out with keith and his wife which uh i didn't i haven't seen really got to chat with with Jillian in, in in very long in a long time. So yeah. it was great. We just we, we had plans, but we ended up sitting on the back deck having a beer. I, I apologies to uh founding sponsor Phoenix Cage to oh, uh, yeah. to Big whom problem. I had uh, promised a, a great practical joke on Keith and and ruined it. Uh but th those are details for another time. And it, but anyhow, uh, it was a great weekend. And then today is sorry Keith, I'm I'm rambling. Today is the 20th anniversary of, of the passing. We're recording on the 20th anniversary of my dad passing away. Uh, he's up above Keith there. And, uh, you know, it's mixed feelings. I like to celebrate and, and just give a moment, give a nod. Uh, but also, it's 20 years. I'm 40 years old, so it is now officially half well. of my life. And I don't, I have, I haven't really... Uh, it's hard to really kind of unpack what I'm feeling. It's it's weird. Generally, it goes by, and it's more of a, like a, a, a whatever. But anyway, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, let's all raise a glass of coffee, whatever you got going, uh, to, to, to Joe up there doing what he do, or just thanks for uh, helping make me the broken, shattered human being that I am. <laughs> <laughs> but as we talk often on the pod about synchronicity, when we mm. get to this day in the basement, I have a, a fun little something I found. That's all. Cool. What about you, Keith? How are you doing? Yeah, no, I mean, no, here's here's to uh, Mr. Indegleo. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's rare that our chit-chat just basically is like, yeah, what mic's that? Because, uh, yeah. you know, fin finally got to, you were the second person, uh, first one not blood-related to be at the house. And, of course, we're recording this on May 16th, so we... We're the, the first episode after the new CDC guidelines about fully vaccinated folks um, not having to mask in a lot of situations. So certainly the first time I've seen a person unmasked indoors in my own home. Um, yes. So that that was, you know, we're, we've both been vaccinated for a while now. Um, if you haven't, get it. What yep. are you doing? Get your vaccination. Especially new information God's about sakes. this Indian variant uh, that... Apparently is a, a, a wildfire spreader. So For just do it. All of it. All of it. Let Get me tell it done. You, if you haven't done it yet, let me just tell you. Uh, you by now know how awkward Keith and I have. I have mentioned it, but even hugging Keith was the first hug that I have given out in over a year. So to a not to yeah to somebody other than your wife. Yeah. Well, you know that you're assuming me and my wife hug. We just like That's fair full enough. bang every time we see each other. Well, we look. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
Wow, just straight to hide in the willy. Okay. <laughs> wow, okay. Into the wood, <laughs> indeed. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, so can't wait go, to get folks. your text about this episode. Cut <laughs> <laughs> <Got> it. Cut <laughs> it. Uh, anyway. Oh, I got to meet uh, Charlie. Most importantly, I got to meet Charlie. You got Charlie, to meet Charlie. Who the, was just as cool as, you, as he's shown on camera. He's so cool. And uh, I feel like this is a good opportunity to hop into... We have tried for years to make this podcast a success. We, we failed. failed. It's time to give the world what it was. Meow, meow. Hot cat content. Meow, meow. Hot cat content. Meow, meow. Hot cat content. At how perfectly I started playing the jingle. He's now looking straight at me from outside his room. Oh, he He's heard it. He his- knows. He knows. He knows we're about to talk about him. So, yeah, so lots have happened in in uh, Charlie World this week. Um, first off, we have uh, not necessarily a cat, but we have a yard otter. We uh, we have a, a, a groundhog, which has now been hanging out in our yard, which has been uh, really fun. They're super cute. And he's just there munching on the clover. And uh, so he's he's got a little path that he goes through the yard and he's... Uh, it's been there every day for the last three days, at least for a little bit. So, super cute. Some would say that has very little to do with your cat. But it's sort of cat-sized, you know. Oh, it, fair. It's, fair. It's cute. It's cat-sized. It's in okay. our yard. So, the other thing that happened... Well, I have three things that happened. The second one is also not quite cat-related. Uh, but I had to bury a dead... Uh, uh, the oh. What's the thing with the white face and the... The long tail, a weasel. No, the uh, the creepy looking ones that are really good for you to eat ticks. A vole. You kept saying no. the word vole yesterday, so well, I well, that's assumed. that's story number three. Oh shit! Spoiler. Well, whatever. There was a dead animal that I had to bury on in my own lawn yesterday, which is all of this makes it sound like I live out in the woods, and and nope. I clearly do not. It's like a little fifty foot by fifty foot yard, but a lot happens in that yard. So story number three is uh, up in Charlie's room here. He's He has one of those like, window well covers. It's plastic. It's all screwed down into the, the window well itself so he can't get out. But on the edges, it there's a little lip that he's able to like stick his paw out and, growl, and grab leaves and stuff. And uh, a couple days ago, sitting here at the desk, and all of a sudden I hear something, wait, 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 wait. And he had caught a vole. Just through that little is, sliver? Through that little sliver. He just reached in and sort of, and tagged it, but it had escaped, but had crawled deeper into the seam of the of the window well. So the plastic comes together at a point, and so he'd gotten himself entirely trapped in there. Charlie couldn't get in, but he couldn't get out. So I had to spend the morning, I pulled Charlie out of his room, closed the window, then took a screwdriver and pulled off the window well to save this poor vole who had gotten himself stuck in there. Meanwhile, the vole's pissed. Charlie's even more pissed that he doesn't get to eat the the creature that he that somehow wandered into the three square inches he could get his paws outdoors. I don't yeah, know. You want to talk about thing. unlucky? That is an unlucky little thing. That well, it's lucky he survived two different oh, things away. that would have yeah. killed him. But it he wasn't the brightest vole in the shed, uh, getting himself into that. Uh, into that little spot there. So lots happening in the cat world and the animal world. Uh, he was certainly happy to meet you. Uh, 
He's he's such a chill little guy. Yeah, he's he, cool. Like strangers, he's like, "Hello, I love you too," which is yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's like he's a little rad. dog cat. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of of Charlie. My cats were interested in his smell when I came. I home. bet they were. Yep, I I bet they were. Uh, okay, should we move forward? Do we have any CCDD content? Uh, no, nothing worth. Uh, I, we'll get there, but it's nothing nothing worth talking about this week. Okay, well then let's move forward to. Well, if you <clears throat> would like to file or subpoena, uh, you can do <laughs> us a big favor and reach out to us at out of practice podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram at out of practice podcast. We'll be psyched to hear from you. And uh, who do we hear from? Well, of course, our moderator, Phoenix Cage. Who uh, says a lot here, so I'm going to try to compress a little bit. <laughs> but uh, it, some interesting stuff. He, he actually did some like legitimate research for us, which we always oh, appreciate. Yes. So uh, Phoenix says, I'm really glad you guys are no longer recording in, in advance. Uh, you knew we were not going to be organized <laughs> enough to have a, an episode in the can ahead of time for very what, long. How long did it last? Uh, since it gets Less harder than a month. when you Less can't even month. remember what episode was two weeks ago. And then his comment comes in four weeks later. Yeah, I get it. Uh, however, he says, actually, Keith, you were 100% right about the plot of Honor Code. And then you let Mike convince you that you were confusing it with Suffer the Little Children. Wait, did I just say Keith was right? No, no, that couldn't have been me. It must have been Phoenix Cage. He, he clearly got... He found the Easter egg. He uh, The little Easter egg that we built just for you, Phoenix. In the, uh, on the jury. Uh, hilarious. He said, uh, I actually had a lot of feelings about Honor Code. The client's doctor discovered a ticking time bomb in the kid's head. But they decided to never tell the parents it was there. Jimmy had a crisis of conscience and blew the whistle. Then Eugene got him disbarred for doing so. Thank you for the recap. That saves me a lot of trouble. But how can the ethical thing be to sit on that secret? Agreed. Is it ethically any different than when a lawyer knows the location of a kidnap victim who was in danger, but revealing the fact would be bad for his client? Based on David E. Kelly's portrayal of the law, it seems so. The lawyers in these two situations would have polar opposite responsibilities. However, after researching the subject, I believe David E. Kelly was wrong. This is from the American Bar Association on the subject of confidentiality. Quote, although the public interest is usually best served by a strict rule requiring lawyers to preserve the confidentiality of information relating to the representation of their clients, the confidentiality rule is subject to limited exceptions. Paragraph one recognizes the overriding value of life and physical integrity and permits disclosure reasonably necessary to prevent reasonably certain death or substantial bodily harm. Such harm is reasonably certain to occur if it would, su if it would be suffered imminently or there was a present and substantial threat that the person will suffer harm on that later date if the lawyer fails to take action necessary to eliminate the threat. Thus, a lawyer who knows that a client has accidentally discharged toxic waste into the town's water supply may reveal this information to authorities if there is a present and substantial risk that a person who drinks the water will contract a life-threatening or debilitating disease, and the lawyer's disclosure is necessary to eliminate the threat or reduce the number of victims. Close quote. I think that's pretty cut and dry. Sounds it. And 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 you got to imagine that there is a team on the writing staff that researches these things legally. They at least have a, what do you call it, a uh, 
a consultant. Yeah. And at times, I think you have to make the decision. My get. I mean, of course, that we're going to take artistic license here, and no, just to to make our you know to to make our story palpable or tolerable. And, and I believe, and I, I I may be completely wrong here. That would be a first. Uh, but I think David E. Kelly actually studied law for a while. Uh, so interesting. Uh, thanks, Things Phoenix. That's actually really good information. That's a uh, that's super useful. Thanks, Phoenix. Uh, all right. Well, while you're reaching out to us, while you're sending us an email, while you're writing on Facebook and Instagram, you can also do us another giant favor. Join the four Phoenix cages on the jury and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service of your choice. We will welcome you into the jury. We will read what you write. Good, bad, or ugly. You can give us one star and, and tell us we're crap. We're you're still on the jury. You know, it's America. You get to uh, convict or acquit us. So uh, do us a huge favor. It makes a big difference. You know, we have a we have a very small but passionate community here. I would love to have a medium but passionate community. So uh, do us a huge favor and leave the rating and Keith, review. the analytics tell me that almost 60% of our active listening base is... Mm -hmm. About six months behind. <laughs> you know, you've been saying that from since the first episode. I know. And we never catch up. They never. Well, I mean, it's I. It, it's impossible to catch up. But we still love you, people who are listening in 2023. Uh, That's right. We it's, wish you could have been a part of the conversation. But I feel like you know you've got some. We've got some go getters in the jury. In, we in, sure do. That are that are. Well, it's it, it's our own fault. For putting it out and putting out an unstoppable torrent of content, whether mm -hmm. anybody asks for it or not. And in fact, I I looked it up uh, just this afternoon before we were uh, killing time before we signed on. We have done how many how many hours do you think we have done? We have to be approaching two hundred hours. We are we have done two hundred and twenty seven hours of uh, out-of-practice content, which, if you're counting at home, is uh, a little over nine days. Jesus. <laughs> you know what? The, here's the thing I really would like people to do, because mm. I know there are at least dozens of listeners on a, <laughs> on a weekly basis. So if nothing else, even if you don't want to watch our fat faces on the YouTube, go to the YouTube oh. and talk with and, and, and interact with moderator Phoenix Cage. We can't keep up with him. He is... He dissects things. He, he he analyzes things. He is more interesting and more well researched than us. So, if you are interested in the actual plot lines and the intricacies of what's happening episode to episode, go to the YouTube's and talk with him because it's, it's otherwise he's going to start his own superior podcast and then yeah, we'll be wiped off the face of the planet. What are we going to do with ourselves, guys? If you care anything about our mental well being, help us out here. All right. <laughs> Jesus. At this point, if they cared about our mental well-being, they'd stop listening just from the sheer sadness of it. Yeah, Speaking that, of know. sadness, you talked about fat faces. So uh, to explain my Easter egg right now behind me, in the video here, you can see a uh, David Pasternak jersey. The Boston, my, my beloved, beloved Boston Bruins have just started the playoffs. And sadly, we lost in overtime to Washington last night, which made me sad. But you might notice if you're watching on YouTube, the three people who do, uh, that I, I shaved. I cut off most of my facial hair. Oh, and then I froze. Fun. 
Uh, no, but good. I cut off most oh, of my facial freeze. hair. You did freeze, Keith. I did. I'll come back. There I am. Uh, because in hockey, I think I mentioned it last year, but it's traditional to grow a playoff beard. So you have you stop shaving until you get eliminated. That's all the players do, and that's what most of the fans do as well. But I already had a pretty decent beard when we started, so I figured let me just start fresh, and then we'll see how it goes. So if the Bruins, uh, you know, have a long series, we might get pretty bushy. Uh, by the end of this. So stay tuned. There it is. However, uh, the reason I wear a beard in the first place is to cover up my fatty jowls. And now uh, when I'm clean shaven, I just get very, very sad when I look in the mirror. And so there it is, folks. Ugh, need to get back to locale, Keith. All right. Well, that's, that's enough of me. We're going to charging Keith by the hour, I think. That's enough of me shaming myself on the internet. <laughs> Let us move forward. Let us hop back into the time machine all the way back 20 years to December 9th, the year 2001, and answer the eternal question that nobody asks what was going on. This day in the basement. Uh, yeah, so we talked about synchronicity. Which are we? That is a word, right? No, it's it's profoundly not a word. Well, it should be because that's damn good. Well, <laughs> well it is pointed. now. I mean, yeah. I was reading some sort of. There was like a. Oh no! There's a joke on Modern Family that uh, vocabulary, whether or not it's a word, is basically about confidence. Yeah, so if you right. just look into the camera and use it directly, eh, it's a word. So, I, I mentioned my pop. 20 years, and I had just moved to New York, not but a few months after he passed away. Yeah, well, it was May, June, July, August, September, October. Yeah, about half a, half, half a year. And, you know, as we, we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago, the, the, the educators in the theater love to break you down. They really think they got to emotionally break you down yeah. to, get to, the, to get to the meat of the matter. And so the first piece I really worked on to present was this piece uh, written by, if I'm not mistaken, Craig Carnelia for working, no. the show Working, called Fathers and Sons. And it's basically... Oh, did Craig write that? I believe so, if I'm not mistaken. That I could be sense. wrong. Uh, maybe makes, Google it. Speaking of an acting teacher who likes to break you down. Yeah. Did you ever work with him? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I didn't mention that I sang that song. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never want to sing somebody's song for them, generally, as a rule of thumb. Uh, it's awkward. It, yeah. But anyway, you know, I was way too young to to learn this song, to perform this song, uh, because it's about a, a person that are, like, I guess, I would guess, mid-30s to maybe 50s, uh, singing about their dad in reference to their child and recognizing the circle of life and parenthood, and which really hit home when I was watching Into the Woods, but that's that's an aside. And... You know, it was an interesting experience because, of course, at the time, I really it was really about trying to put myself in my father's shoes, uh, to in order to sort of look my grief in the in the face, which was kind of brilliant by my acting teacher, if not very painful, because what is acting but kind of mining your personal experiences to create something you haven't experienced, mostly. Anyway. Uh, I don't know that I did it justice at the time. I think that I will do working at some point in my life, and I will have great context. But regardless, 
uh, I this uh, this period of time, December ish, towards the middle of December, right before Christmas, was our first uh, jury type of situation. Mm. Not it wasn't so much like a bunch of people, but it was for the presentation for the class, like for a, a grade or however the hell that worked. I don't even remember how grading worked when it came to conservatory because how do you how how does one grade yeah but anyhow this was my first kind of presentation of it so it's it's interesting that today is the day we get to look Mm. back at that presentation of this song it's all kind of comes together so i don't there's no video recording of those presentations however you could sign up for what we call tapings there was this little like studio room and there'd be uh david caldwell on piano who would just sit there and for hours you could sign up and you could have 15 minutes to go in and just like run shit. So um I found uh, <gasps> an MP3 of a really bad run of this tune, but yes, um it sounds all right. So I found a clip of it just to kind of like recall uh 21-year-old Mike dealing with working through some of the passages. Now the cool yeah. thing about this is well, it's not really like a huge sing, but it was more like me trying to be an act. It's, it's not what it's about, but I did find something here. I'll play it. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm still excited. He was my hero then. He couldn't do no wrong as far as I was concerned. I thought he was the wisest and the strongest and the best of men. The tables hadn't turned I had learned How little time it is And everybody breaks Daddy's make mistakes So there you go, there's a clip of it. That's fantastic! What a great so, uh, thing to have! Yeah, well, I have a ton of those, but they're on these little mini discs or mini uh, mini cassettes. Oh yeah, no, sure. So, uh, then we all. So, I mean, you sounded great. That's a great. It's a great song for you. We should we should do a cover of it at some point. I'll play it for you. You can sing it. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. it's interesting. Speaking of synchronicity, um, a good friend of mine uh, is artistic director of a theater out up upstate, and they're doing working this summer. And I'm wondering if I can't maybe. Uh, Maybe it's time to go. That. Maybe it's time to go do it. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely should. No, no, I have a, I have a, <laughs> my, 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 my autistic brain uh, question for him. The piano that he played that on was it purple? I, I don't, I don't think so. It sounds like a, it sounds like a Kurzweil, which is a, it's a type of electronic keyboard because I had the exact same. Yeah, there, there so, was sounds two. exactly like the sample that I used. At exactly that same time. Yeah, it, there was definitely two studios. One was just like a, 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 a upright, and then there was one that was like you could you could get your taping with like a little bit of reverb because you had the. Yeah, I mean this is definitely the electric a digital. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. There's definitely some cool. flubs that come up towards after I cut. So I'm glad that it's a that's a as we mean you have become uh, akin or uh, accustomed to is finding the right little clip. <laughs> Well, and you know, Lord knows we have never flubbed on this, so our audience thinks we are incapable of flubbing anything. Well, let me tell you what we weren't thinking about twenty years ago, as it, mm. those twenty-year-old Mike and Keith never thought that any of these recordings would see the light of the internet, <laughs> or really understood what the internet was at the time. So, 
oh, I knew what the internet was, but it not, took not this 45 minutes to download that clip. That was the problem. <laughs> right. And we sure as heck weren't uh, live recording a, uh, a multi-cam video show in 4K. Yeah, that's true. 4K didn't exist. All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, interesting. I have Speaking a sort of, of a heartbreak. <laughs> oh, because you've got the damn rundown. See, that's not fair. I can't give you the rundown. You got a uh, you got a heads up on what I'm going to talk about. Well, generally, I just look for what song was playing at the time. But I happened to see because you put a, like a funny <laughs> note on your Disney in the basement, so I saw it. I clocked it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, going back into the email archive, I found an email that I sent this week uh, to my mother, giving her the Mommy! heads. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Who's probably listening to this? Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Hope how's your walk going? Hope it's uh hope the hike is going. Oh, she well. listens on the walk. She does. She listens as she hikes up and down the uh, the mountain. She could probably walk seventeen miles in one episode of this show. <laughs> and she kind of does. I mean, she she just races up the mountain like a mountain goat, up and down twice every day. Anyway, uh, called your mother so, a mountain goat. In a good way. She'll, in she'll a good it. way, quote unquote. In a good way. Well, I mean, I I'd would say be... that you're more like a puma. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's now, now that goes uncomfortable in another way. Yeah, but she's not my mom, so it's cool. No, no, but like it's <laughs> like the puma is the older version of the cougar, you realize. Is it? It is. Oh, uh, well, you know what? Your mom's your mom's out to trot. Why not? There you go. Uh, I think you I think you've got a shot, mom. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go ahead and move forward. She just threw her phone into the woods. <laughs> When do you think the show jumped the shark? I think when Mike started hitting on Keith's mom in real time. <laughs> yeah, because she was, was the only person who listened. <laughs> Basically, we're we're so excited to have any listener that Mike will hit on you. If you yeah, listen, sure. Mike will hit on you. Yeah, roll that thirsty. Yeah, I know. Where is it? Uh, here it is. Uh... Mike is thirsty. He's thirsty for anybody. Uh, so, Mom, what thirsty means? I'm right. right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so I sent her an email letting her know that uh, my college girlfriend and I, who I was living with in an apartment, uh, decided in December that we were going to split that we are going mm. to we are going to break up. Um, however, we had an entire other semester of school and an apartment lease. So, in college thinking, we're like, okay, let's just still live together and mm. sort of be together, but not be together, and be heartbroken and not, and just make it work living together, sleeping in the same bed for six months after you've decided to break up. Mm. It was a uh, wow. That was a that was a thing that we did, and uh, we all survived it. And so was that like a? I'm hoping we still get back together. So, but like I'll agree to break up. But we're living like, or no, were you both were pretty done? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I should let her speak for herself of what her Fair. perspective was. But she would very much not want to speak anything to do with this wisely. Uh, but I. I, my memory of it was it was sort of my decision because I was good. I was graduating a year earlier than her, and I was like, yeah, I can, 
you know, we're sort of at the path now. We've been together for long enough, almost three years at that point. Like you sort of have to like should I get decide, off the pot? Should I get off the pot? And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's going to be my thing uh, long term. And I was sort of stuck in the the terrible situation because like I want to be fair to her in all of the various permutations of that because like is it worse to tell her that I'm going to break up with you later and now we have to be together in this weird awkward time or is it worse to know in the back of my head that I'm going to do it and then and make her think that oh yeah you know what we're still on a path to move forward like that and I and you know I, I actually wrote a song about this called nice is easier than fair Mm-hmm. And I thought the nice thing to do would have been like, oh, let's keep it together. But the fair thing to do is to be upfront. I should maybe I'll play a clip from that at some point. Okay. Um, but it was a it was a good tune. Anyway, so that's what was going on there. So it was an awkward time. And uh, that weren't was, they all? Yeah, it was it was weird. And and we basically sort of stayed together until I graduated. So it. But we both knew it was ending, which, you know, today, I think that would be a little little easier, you know, when you're both like adults and like, okay, this is what the deal is. We'll keep it at this in this sort of lane. But when you're, you know, 20, 21 years old, that's a much more difficult thing to do. Yeah, it works great in television because when you know it's the last season, you can write for the finale. But uh, in real life, it it is a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, what was happening there. All right, let us talk about... Click, come on, get there, here we go. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. Well, folks, again, we are talking about December 9th, the year 2001. We, of course, were listening to You Got It Bad, performed by Usher, the local... Oh, look at that. We've got like a tweet. Nice. The uh, local Berlin Free Press talked about U.S. Marines' search for terrorists. Uh, I couldn't see the article, but I'm assuming that has to do with uh, in Afghanistan as we were... I don't, I don't know at this point whether we had gotten control over the whole country at that point. <laughs> we never did. But in terms of like the actual main offensive might have been over by then. Uh, so that's what's happening. The top movie, uh, we've got like a run of classics all in a row. So the top movie was Ocean's Eleven. Mm. The first of the Ocean's Eleven series, which took in $38 million. And you think it is time for us to move to the best segment but no, we are going to do Back in time. You know, interestingly, Keith, I uh, I didn't do the camera thing right. No, but I've got the little I've got the I'm really thinking about it hard. Let me see if I can't uh No, I think it looks good. All right. Well, you work to solve that. I, I, th- I, I think I'm good. Like I, I, I'm good in color. I'm better in color. Okay. I thought I could do it, but I, I guess I can't do it. And though it looks like it looks right there. Why can't I? Interestingly, got, oh, I, I know Keith. I know what it is. Uh huh. I think 
This is fascinating to listen to, especially for the 98% of you who listen. Oh, you know why? Because you're really tiny. You're really tiny. I'm going to hold on, folks. Get ready for this. Keep this ready for the is magic. The hot content. Of well, while you're doing that, I will thank our good friend and founding sponsor. Oh, I am Jorge Novoa for submitting this and sending it to me and not to Mike because uh, apparently Mike's going to listen hard and uh, figure out what's going on. Now, there we go. We're ready now. You're, okay, you're we're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Shortly after midnight on December 9th, the year 2001. A 48-year-old business executive went back inside her Forest Hills home after having a few glasses of wine by the pool. At some point, her husband, too, went back inside. And at quarter to 3 a.m., the husband, a fiction writer, called 911 to report that his wife was still breathing. That is, she was in an accident, but still breathing. She fell down the stairs, but breathing. Unconscious, sure, but most definitely still breathing. And though during the call, the writer never says a word to his wife trying to wake her up, he absolutely must hang up on the operator so he can continue to say nothing to his wife, who is almost definitely not dead yet. And despite the fact that the operator could have offered help to save his living, breathing wife, the husband was so distressed that, whoops, he forgot to mention to the dispatcher there was blood everywhere. But what happened to Kathleen? Was she pushed down the stairs? Was she beaten with a blowpoke? Was she attacked by an owl? And just what was Michael Peterson doing hanging out by the pool when it was 55 degrees outside in Forest Hills, Durham, North Carolina. Fun fact, that very pool in that very house was featured in The Handmaid's Tale, the 1990 movie, which featured David Dukes as an uncredited doctor. Yes, the very same, not that David Dukes, David Dukes featured in episode 312 of The Practice as Mike's favorite client, the father who dropped his dead grandbaby yeah! at a random church. There it is, folks. Yeah, that's wow. the staircase one. The staircase. Yeah. Yeah. That was now. That's a who interestingly, I if I remember correctly, looks like the actor David Dukes. Well, the yes, the guy from that documentary. Through and through, folks. Synchronicity. That's, well, that's just cool. say it confidently. Synchronicity. It's a word. It is now. It is now. Mitch. So, uh, yeah, fascinating. And wow, so th that so they filmed the Hands Handmaid's Tale 1990 movie in that same pool, which would have been before the murder happened. Which isn't, yeah, they use, I mean, like, yeah, if you're rich and you have a big estate, with like, you get location scouted. I, I, I get it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Of course, uh, I'm glad that he pointed out that this is Forest Hills in Durham, not Forest Hills in Queens. I'm like, I would have, like, I almost bought a house in Forest Hills in Queens. Like, what the heck? Like, uh, I would have remembered that from the documentary. But that's not what happened. Thank you, Jorge. Let us move forward, finally. And I know everybody's waiting, Phoenix. I know Thank you're God. waiting. Thank God. For everyone's favorite segment. 
It's time, it's, time, it's, time. It's, time. it's time for Sports Bowl. The New York Football Giants lost a disappointing matchup to the Quincy Carter-led Cowboys. Dickie Barber ran for 110 yards, but Kerry Collins was only able to muster 122 yards passing. Emmett Smith rushed for 62 yards and a touchdown. The game dropped the Giants to 5-7. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Football Eagles surged to an 8-4 with a win over the San Diego Chargers. Doug Flutie Flakes Flutie. Through for 370 yards in the loss. Didn't time that one that well. No, I, I took it out early. <laughs> you took it? You can't take it out. I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. And I'm not going to take this anymore. It's time to talk about the damn episode. Oh. Okay, we are talking, of course, about the practice season six, episode nine, Inter Arma Silent Lieges. This was written by we are Jonathan talk about Shapiro. What that means, right? What's that? We're going to talk about what that means at some point because I, I, I barely knew. I don't even know how to pronounce it, let alone what it means. Well, I, I am going to tell you what it means, but it's a bit of a spoiler. Okay, so we wait. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wait. We'll do it at the end. If I remind me, if not, because I I do have the translation. Okay. Uh, this has a teleplay by Jonathan Shapiro, who last rate wrote Liars Poker, with a story by Lucas Reiter, who last wrote on Honor Code and Jonathan Shapiro, and it was directed by Andy Wolk, who last directed The Confession, which okay. leaves us with only one more thing to do before we watch. Hopefully, a better episode of The Practice. Good God. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? <laughs> what? what? What does Mike think's gonna happen? Yeah, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? Um, so... Uh, sexy pitches. Let's hear we're going, it. Big, we're going sexy hot pitches off the presses. Here we're gonna go. Mission accomplished. This is gonna have to do with like a very military thing. Uh, a military guy is accused of murder of a a civilian, so that it, it's not going to like the military court. We're in real court, but we're defending a, 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 a veteran uh, for what's ostensibly a war crime, but it's not. And we have to use some sort of legalese to figure it out. Uh, and but 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 worry not, folks. Worry not. I was pretty. This worried. is the episode. This is the <laughs> episode where Helen Gamble, biggity bangs. With D.A. Lowe. Finally. So remember when we said this was the season of big pitches? This is clearly now just the season of Mike waiting for Helen to bang somebody. Well, uh, if, you, if the, the consolation prize to my loving mother will be <laughs> Helen Gamble with Office Space. Okay, well, <laughs> if you would like to listen to us, listen to that episode, hop over to your podcasting service of choice, and we will see you back here on YouTube for the Oopsies. The Practice, Season 6, Episode 9, Inter Arma Silent Leggies.
I don't understand. You've got all the evidence. He knows he killed her. What defense could he have? Honestly, I don't know. I thought insanity, but I guess they can't find a shrink willing to testify. Oh, I prayed he'd plead guilty. So this would be over. Well, we don't start for another hour. We can still offer him a deal. What kind of deal? Murder two. And that's a good, good clever transition there. That's still life, man. With the possibility of parole. No. Eugene's no. gonna get to Darryl, try a case. You have no defense. Your semen was found in the victim. I made love with her earlier. Your prints are on the murder weapon. A witness saw you run out of her apartment at the time she was murdered. The witness got it wrong, Mr. Young. It's as simple as that. Well, she seems pretty sure. She got it wrong. Friend of mine. Let's this talk about this doctor who's witness. being uh He talked about how I defend who thinks the witness got it wrong. Guy who says make love, and for some reason the phrase make love makes me feel weird. Yes, indeed, this uh, defendant is played by Gabriel Cassius as Daryl Johnson, who you would know from Black Hawk Down, Bedazzled, Fallen, and 24. Some white people can't tell black people about some disease situation. or something like that. That witness has got that disease is all. We got to call this doctor. I don't think race is an issue here, Daryl. You don't understand, Mr. Young. I'm instructing you to make it an issue. All right. Okay, well, we know where uh, we're going to be talking about. But Play uh, the race card. He was instructed by his client to play the race card. Yeah, which it's uh, it, it's an interesting situation here because looking back on it from 20 years, like what criminal case with a defendant of color is race not a factor in one right. way or another so well, we're gonna know, have, it oh, stands go it stands to be good news uh, because eugene has proven over six seasons that that is a that's in his wheelhouse you know what i mean he's able to really hammer those points home well to a jury for sure and just also just be kick-ass so yes Said it many times it's before. about time we get a Eugene. I want Eugene. Just what I'm saying, Your Honor. The trial is set to start in 40 <laughs> oh, minutes. Baby. My client and I have insurmountable differences, back. which would have... Such as? With a nice hairdo. Uh, let's just say it's about strategy and ethics. Eugene, every lawyer seems to have insurmountable differences with the court-appointed cases. I'm telling you, this one is real. You know me well enough to know that if I say it, it is real. I'm not letting you out for a strategy difference. Forget it. Eugene Anna, distinctly does not want to. I'm asking a favor here. I can't let you out. Not now. When did they take him in? Three weeks ago. And they Christmas in the office. The only thing I know is that the FBI has him somewhere. Which is always dangerous because you know that office Christmas party is L I T lit. Murderers, defendants. That's, that's true. That's true. Like the uh, serial killer. George Vogelman was there. Yeah. But let me tell you who else is here. A lady who we maybe haven't seen before. I feel a bumper coming on. 
It is Jessica Steen, as we're about to meet Dr. Sarah Ford. But guess what? She also played a pretty substantial part as Brianna Hatfield in Marooned. Two, which three, means. You're not supposed to notice that you've been on the show before But now you get twist the residuals arriving at your door So welcome back to the practice I'll pretend that I don't recognize That I saw you in season two and you met your demise Here we go, first here we go killer, But now you're set free First appearance, man, they fill her But you had a goatee You maybe fooled someone dimmer But you don't fool me We're not here to judge But you just might be Welcome back to the practice tonight you know, I think about it, and in some ways, it's a compliment to come back and return to the show. They obviously liked working with you. They thought you did a good job, and you've got another gig. You've got more residuals. Get another IMDb credit. On the other hand, the production's telling you, yeah, you were forgettable. Enough. Yeah, yeah. A lawyer, you got nowhere. Yeah, but you get one cool-ass bumper, so... That's a problem. Your husband's first name? Bill. Bill Ford. And his middle initial? Habib. I'm sorry? Ford is my maiden name. My husband's last name is Habib. And we make a huge big deal out of that. I just think if the FBI... I'm not entirely sure, um, but it definitely seems like it's possible. If this aired in December... Uh, December 9th of 2001, this might have been the first episode written and filmed after 9-11. So, just so that scene there, that air, and Rebecca's take to to her when she says Habib, implies uh, the sentiment of anti-Arab uh, animosity, or not anti-Arab, but Arab animosity that was happening kind of nationwide because of the fallout of 9-11. Right, right, because like it, that take doesn't make any sense unless you know it's 2011. Because she said, "Oh, my husband's name is Habib," and there's like a dun dun dun, as opposed to like, "Oh, okay, cool. What's his name? You know, what's his first name?" Like it doesn't matter. But back then, it was it, it you, was very well, you know charged. What? I don't know because even like think about Obama, uh, you know, Barack Hussein Obama. That was a big fucking deal. That wasn't 2001. You know what I mean? No, no, that's that's true. I mean. That yeah, shit's loaded politically, regardless. You know it is, I mean? yeah. It's it is only only my uh, my sheltered white privilege that I think that we've moved on at yeah. least twenty percent from that. No, we haven't. But <laughs> Hell no. No, we haven't. But uh, anyway, let's see if Jimmy has a post nine eleven viewpoint. Up. They must have had a good reason. This woman is my doctor, Jimmy. Her husband's been in this country for thirty years. Why they grab him? Just because he's Arab? He's Arab-American, and we don't know why they grabbed him. They're not telling us. Well, like I said, last time I checked, the police don't arrest people for no reason. (laughs) When is the last time you checked? Jimmy. Jimmy's white privilege just blew out of the screen, (laughs) and I think maybe crashed my computer. But I I think, you know, Rebecca's retort was dynamite. Uh, Unfortunately, the the really... um, powerful uh, points being made uh, are are being drowned out for me by the lamp that is actually a trumpet that there's like a not a trumpet like the what do you it's like a it's a kitschy lamp behind rebecca that's like i a, believe that's a it, french it, horn or something it's called a tramp 
Oh, there's a name for it? No. Oh. No, wait, no. We're, we're confidently saying things. It's called oh, a right. tramp, Mike. Yes, tramp. A trumpet lamp. Linda McLaughlin oh. was the first person <laughs> get in it her now. family to go or to college. Woof. Woof. These are her parents. Comedian? The evidence will <laughs> show that on it. November 19th of last year, their daughter Linda walked out of the campus grocery store and was Mini accosted fridge. by the defendant, Daryl Johnson. Homeless back man in Eugene's who panhandles case. in the area. Daryl followed Linda home, raped her, then beat her to death. After we prove it, David I will Kelly ask you to find Daryl Johnson player. guilty of murder in the first degree. So Eugene had asked for a murder too. Mr. Young, uh, I guess that was denied. Yes, or, no, turned down. <clears throat> Mr. Young? Mike wasn't paying attention. Why well, did Eugene go to Kittleson and want out? Because he does he does not want to play the race card. The 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 defendant wants to make part of his defense the idea that white people can't tell black people apart. Mm. And Eugene does not want to argue that angle. And that's what he was going to uh, Kittleson to say, like, I don't want to do that. You have to do, you have to do, I guess you do, yeah. Technically, you work for them. Right. The evidence will not establish that Daryl Johnson committed this crime. The evidence will establish that the police arrested him simply because he fit the profile in their minds of the type of person who would commit this particular crime. Perfectly fair defense. I'm Special Agent Charles Renford. Sorry to make delay. Oh, no problem. I assume you guys are pretty busy right now. What can I do for you? Um, I've been trying to talk to these two agents about Bill Habib. And well, I. What these agents got pulled onto details overseas. They are not available. This is Robert Lipton. Okay. Can you tell me anything? I'm sorry, I can't. Is that because you don't know or because you won't say? Agent Renford, I am formally requesting you let me see my client. I'm afraid you can't. What do you mean? I'm his lawyer. You can't see him, Miss Washington. That's all I can say. Are you familiar with the concept of due process, Agent Renford? First, find out where he's being held. Call the Bureau of Prisons. Now it's all coming back to me. Remember when, after 9-11 all sorts of new things were new laws that we didn't know about were popping up and all of oh, our this is all precursor right, to the yeah. patriot act yeah the people were just being disappeared all over the country mm. for no reason and they some of them have still not been set free yeah rebecca if anybody is on this case and is going to expose what's going on it's going to be yeah rebecca. oh god it was awful i'll admit firsthand though that the the sort of oh god i hate to say this on the internet um the let's whatever the, the the mainstream media right of which i generally am also a i follow did a good job because there was a very strong nationalist uh feeling at the time right like 
I was, oh, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't a ton of critical thinking happening in, on my part. I was just like, yeah, good guys, bad guys. Because when, when things are complicated, I think we are apt to go to the, I just want somebody to paint it black and white for me because, because it's, it's very challenging to, to oh, extrapolate yeah. emotionally the complexities of the issue, you know? Well, and, and this moment in history is what made Fox news. Right. Yeah. And, and what, you know, it's it's one of I, I could go on for about an hour and a half on uh, how we got to where we are today. But I think this I mean, both the 9-11 itself, but I think more the development of the sort of jingoistic media outlet in Fox News, the polarizing of the audience, the undermining of fact, and then sort of the sort of thought experiment we had with the run-up to the Iraq war and just like facts aren't facts, truth isn't truth, so on and so forth. Like it's, I, I think you can draw a line between the politiz, politiz, politization of um, sort of patriotism and the undermining of fact and accountability from this moment and Fox News to January 6th. Fair, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a much longer soapbox on that, but that's for a different podcast. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, watching an episode of the of show. Of the practice. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, yes, I, uh, ballsy of David Kelly uh, to, to tackle this so soon after uh, right. the, the spark of this. And tackle this side of it. Mm-hmm. I did. Not like 24. Along the state Let's board corrections, Suffolk County Jail, Middlesex, nobody knows a thing. Call the INS. They can hold someone indefinitely, even if there's a hint of an immigration problem. He's a U.S. citizen. He has been for 20 years. I'd still check it out. You don't know what they can do now. What about his first lawyer? He won't talk to me. Says he's been ordered not to. Ordered? By who? I have no idea. Okay. If the feds took him, you got to assume Jimmy he's still being got silently judging. File of federal habeas. Make them produce his body at least. The girl had just walked out of the market when he walked up to her. This girl. This is Todd yes. Truly as the witness. Mr. Banks, had you ever seen the defendant before? In he's a, a street very guy. aggressive sweater. Carries your bags for change. Sometimes he can get aggressive. Objection. Sustained. The jury will disregard. Just tell us what you saw Man. that day. He tried to carry her shopping bags. So the defendant she was like, was homeless. whoa, I got it. They kind of argued over the bags for a minute. A uh, little behind the scenes, <clears throat> if you've ever done just like even a bit part, uh, I guarantee you that this actor showed up on set so excited. He's got his, he's got lines, he's getting a paycheck. And then he goes <laughs> to wardrobe and he's like, what the hell Here. is this sweater? Explain the, the sweater, sweater he's on. wearing, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> what is the sweater he's wearing? What the hell's this extra wear or this, this under five wearing? Oh, that quite possibly might be the most aggressively ugly sweater without <laughs> a pattern I've ever seen. It's like it's a almost, yeah. It's crocheted for sure. Crocheted giant V. But it's a teal sweater with like a white V. It is terrible. I don't know. It's terrible. I'd, I'd love to know what the fuck where they pulled I, that from. Like when he went back to the frat house, I can't imagine what they must have made posters of that. 
Well, he's got a really nice button down underneath, right? And I, yeah. I imagine that that's where it started. But someone was like, no, 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 it's winter time. We got to make it look like winter. Or or maybe maybe it was one of like, you know, you go into, I mean, obviously not on the practice, but like smaller shoots is like, all right, just wear something sort of neutral and give us a couple of options. And yeah, everything bring your you brought stuff, in yeah. had stripes on it, right? Because uh-huh. that, that shirt would not be good as True. a regular shirt on television because the stripes would make it funk, it'd mess up. And so the wardrobe guy was like, you know what? We told you, no stripes, you asshole. All right, now you got to wear this sweater. This textured <laughs> crocheted sweater that is got a deep V. It's like the punishment sweater of shame. It has both a deep V uh, neckline, but also a literal deep V. We have to screenshot that. Could you screenshot that, actually? <laughs> I will later. Okay. Holy that's, crap. Wow. That is, that's yeah. intense. That's a... And then she walked away. <laughs> what did the defendant do then? He stood there, pissed. Then he started to follow her. Did you hear anything they said? No. And when you say they argued... Well, it looked like they argued. About the bags. Could they have been talking about something else? I don't know. I I guess. You guess? So it's possible then they were talking about something else? Yes. And, Mr. Banks, you never thought Miss McLaughlin was in danger, did you, sir? In danger? Well, yes. You you saw her with my client. You didn't think she needed help or that you should call the police, did you? No. Thank you, sir. Good job, Eugene. Yeah. He just neutered the shit out of that witness. Sure did. I mean, he was already neutered by that sweater pretty hard. That's a good point. That's it? Daryl, if you're unhappy with my work, you can tell the judge and get a new lawyer. You're the right lawyer for this, Mr. Young. I'm sure about I don't that. quite understand his antagonism towards his client here. Agent Renford, I didn't expect to see you. Theodore McNally, assistant U.S. attorney. Thanks for coming down. Uh, Let me give you this back. Well, okay, I'm going to, I'm probably reading into it. I'm probably editorializing, but that's sort of my whole fucking job. So, um, my guess, if if we're to look at the kind of big arc of the the series and of Eugene, Mm -hmm. I think Eugene's in a place where he's most likely assuming that this guy knows Eugene's reputation for cases that involve race, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Eugene is making, because of the evidence that was what we sort of did the pre-credit with, is assuming that this guy's guilty and is manip- is just using Eugene and his reputation for playing the race card to his advantage. And Eugene's like, I'm fucking sick of this shit. At least that's my 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 cold read. No, I I think I think that I think there that makes a fair amount of sense. Although this client is homeless, so I don't know if he'd be keeping up that much on the legal scene. But Eugene's like defensiveness about it might be a part of that. Although I think it's a perfectly fair thing to argue. Well, uh, but well, and at I would it, argue that you're making a lot of assumptions about the, the 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 homeless scene and and what they do may or may not research. That's entirely fair. Uh, but you know what else is fair? Let's be before we inter we uh, we interrupt this scene. Let's uh, introduce this Fed. Who's dead? Fed. Who's dead? <laughs> Guy who I'm assuming is going to be an obstinate asshole. It is David Garrison as U.S. Attorney Theodore McNally, uh, who most of you would know from Married with Children. Yes. Uh, also Law Steve. and Order and It's Your Move. But he is a giant Broadway guy. 
He has 10 Broadway shows to his credit, including The Great Society, The Visit, and Wicked. And I saw him in Silence, the musical off-Broadway. He played Hannibal Lecter in Silence. It puts the lotion in the basket. Find it on YouTube. It's funny. Yeah, I would I would uh, give the title of the sang of the song that he uh sang on that show, but I'm not going to because yeah, we're no. on the internet. Google it. <laughs> Google it. It's my habeas. It isn't filed? Clerk's office caught it. You can't file it. What do you mean I can't file it? This involves classified material, top secret or higher. It can't I'm be. I'm just asking to see my client. Now when do I get to see my client? After you get a national security clearance, Renford will expedite it. I need your uh, home address, social security number, names of family members, and uh, how you know Mr. Habib. I haven't even met him yet. Hold on. I need to warn you, anything you say can and will be used against you and your client. Used against me? What are you talking This case involves national security. You want to defend Habib? You need a clearance. To get it, you got to go through us, answer our questions. If you lie to us, it's perjury. Plus, everything we tell you is privileged. If you divulge any of it to anyone, you'll be prosecuted. And what if I don't want a security clearance? What if I object it's a violation of my rights? Then Mr. Habib gets no lawyer. And what's Listen. crazy... We can do whatever the hell we want at this moment in time, and we intend to do so. You thought you've seen red tape before? Get ready for the reddest of all tape. Yeah, I, I mean, it is, I mean, <laughs> what was happening publicly then, which probably is still happening privately, was just so brutally uh, unjust. But, you know, is it... You're there with us or against us. <laughs> kind of an in, ed, environment at that point. And Cheney was pulling all the strings. And it, like, if if you weren't, I mean, most of our audience is our age. So they all went through this. But like, it was a really weird and dark time. Uh, right. But right what's out. interesting and what's, I think, the context that is interesting to, to view this through now, which is why I think this episode so far, and I don't know how it plays out or if it's going to, is is really fascinating to me is that this story was not being told. Like I said, the 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 press surrounding the the war, the conflict, what was happening was all very patriotic and had nothing yeah. to do with like the sort of rights violations. A year or two later, this would have yeah. happened. Yeah, but but you're 100 percent right because if this was aired in December, it was filmed in November at the absolute latest, mm -hmm. which would only have been a month and a half after. So this was like way ahead of the curve. No, I mean, that sentiment was pretty, like, the only thing you really saw and heard about if you were just kind of even paying cursory attention was, you know, cabbies of of not even, not all Arab, if you were even remotely brown at the time, cabbies were getting pulled out of their cab and have the shit beat out of them. There oh, was a, it was terrifying. Was a, it was a really, it was a weird time, and it was only being somewhat covered. I mean, we were, I was in New York, so... Clearly, that was being covered on the the local news. I don't even know if that made national news, but there was there. It was palpable. I mean, it was palpable it was, at the time. But you, it, it was out there in in some circles. I mean, the the just the horrible treatment of anybody of even maybe Middle Eastern descent, you know, was just awful at this point. Like it must have been 
just a really brutal experience for for anyone in that environment. And but we were also being told that there was, you know, everyone a lot was of, coming to get us. They're going to yes. blow up everything, and 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 people were not making distinctions. And yeah. people but when still you're scared, don't. when you're scared, and you start to trust, and you trust what's being you're being told, which you know you, yeah. you want to believe you can. This was a yeah. time when uh, when I think. And this isn't even a political issue, like a, a left or right issue. This was still a time when you thought, at least I thought, I should speak for myself, that your government, for the most part, was 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 being straight up with you, right? Yeah. Well, I remember, and this, we'll probably get to it in, in the basement, but I, I got into the biggest fight of my life with one of my best friends at the time about the evidence for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And and you know, I was from the standpoint of like, show us the evidence because I don't. It doesn't seem like it's there. We shouldn't go to war. And he was like, "Well, he's the president. You have to trust him." Yeah, nine eleven. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, what I mean, that was like the fallback. Nine eleven. Yeah. Like, okay, but what's that have to do with? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a criticism of when Giuliani was running. I it need was like subject to see my own client, who I never met. All I don't speeches. know why he was arrested. I it, great. There's a great detail here that Lucy, it's clear that Lucy has a very, she loves Christmas kitsch and that she is in charge of decorating the office. And I think it's awesome. She sure does. Yeah. Okay. These are different times. Thank you, Lucy. So what happens next? Uh, assuming I get the clearance, I'm hoping to meet the client tomorrow. I haven't found him yet. So we're off to federal court. I'm hoping to persuade a judge to order the government to at least tell us where he is. Okay. Sarah, is it possible your husband is involved in something? No, Rebecca, that's not possible. That's an understandable question. I'm sorry. As your lawyer, I, I had to ask you that question. We wouldn't want you committing malpractice. Numerous skull fractures, massive and fatal head trauma. What caused these injuries, Detective? Uh, let's introduce A table lamp was found near the body, covered with blood. Testifying detective! Yeah! So... We have here a, a, a detective testifying. Now, if you're uh, if if you are a fan of the entire KME media entertainment platform, you're already watching our show about Star Trek action figures. Look at my Star Trek toys on our YouTube page. Check it out. Uh, but what happened to me this week? Speaking of synchronicity, it's a word. Uh, was. For the Toys episode we're going to record this week, I was looking up who played one of the action figures, and it was like a random alien, so it wasn't a regular cast member. And I looked up this guy's background, and he had this huge, long Star Trek history. Um, but he's not an actor you would ever know. He's sort of like a, you know, just a, a jobber out there. And uh, so I, I do the whole research on this actor, and then I start prepping this episode, and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. And it was the same actor, and that is Scott McDonald, who I will probably never come across on The Practice again, 
or on the Star Trek thing, because I don't think he has another figure. Just really weird. Within back to back, I looked up the same actor. So Scott McDonald, you would know as the voice of Jack Frost in the Jack Frost movies. But more importantly, for this and the other podcast, he has an extensive Star Trek career, including on The Next Generation, he played Nivek in Face of the Enemy, good episode. On Voyager, he was in the pilot Caretaker, where he played Rollins. On Deep Space Nine, he played Goran Agar in Hippocratic Oath. And for the figure we're doing this week, he played Tosk in Captive Pursuit. Unnecessary Star Trek reference. Portions of I did scout. a lot of Star Trek. It was determined to be the murder weapon. Were any fingerprints on the lamp? The defendant's fingerprints were found on both the lamp and the victim. Detective, what other evidence did you find? A rape examination revealed the presence of semen. We did a DNA test. It matched the defendant. Thank you. Mr. Young? Did you find bruising? We found bludgeoning. That wasn't my question. Did you find bruising in the vaginal area? We didn't find that. How about tearing? No. Did you find defensive wounds on the victim's hands or arms, skin under her fingernails? No. Detective, can you rule out the possibility of consensual sex here? Objection. Overruled. Doesn't sound like she was fighting, does it? This could have been consensual. Sidebar, Your Honor. Quickly. There is no good faith basis for the suggestion of consensual sex here, and he knows it. My client says it's consensual. That's it. Why not? That's all he needs. Your Honor, it's bad enough the parents have to sit here and listen to the details. You can advise the parents to leave the room, Helen. In fact, why don't you? This is your defense? That the sex was consensual? This is his defense, Your Honor. And you can take me off whenever you please. Eugene, Jesus, just, you got a job to do, buddy. Assuming that Mr. Young does, in fact, have a good faith basis for the question, I'll allow it. Your Honor. He's entitled to put on a defense, counsel. But tread lightly, Eugene. Now step back. Detective. Is it possible the sex here was consensual, yes or no? I suppose it's possible, but Thank there's... you, sir. That's all. Eugene's not trying that hard. And yet, it's still kind of... I mean, what other defense could they use? So Rebecca's going Sorry, into ma no the bags federal inside. court. Um, well, can I get a piece of paper and a pen? No, ma'am, no writing materials. Sorry, ma'am. What's wrong? Closed courtroom, only the lawyers. This is the man's wife. Orders of the court, ma'am. No visitors. Please, he's my husband. I haven't seen him in weeks. Ma'am, I'm sorry. You're just following orders, right? <sighs> okay, I'm sorry. I understand. Go ahead, Rebecca. Just please tell Bill I'm out here. I heard the screaming and I knew something wasn't right. So I opened my apartment door and This woman out is played by Edith Fields? There he was. This man right here? Yes. He was dressed uh, ratty, like a bum, and he didn't uh, smell too good either. Did he oh. say anything? No, 
But as soon as he saw I was looking at him, he uh, ran for the stairs. You're absolutely sure this is the man you saw leave Miss McLaughlin's apartment? Positive. Right after you heard screaming? That's right. Did you know the victim, Mrs. Salotkin? Not personally, but I'd seen her. Ever talked to her? Not really. So you don't know her voice? No. Wouldn't recognize her scream? Oh, no, but I'm assuming it must have been her. The scream came at the time she was killed. You're assuming. Do you know many black people? Objection. Have any black friends? Mr. Young, what are you doing? Laying a foundation, Your Honor. A foundation for what? If I could be allowed to proceed, I'll get there. Do you recall the question? About black people? I don't really know any that well. But you know for sure it was my client, even though you saw him for just a moment from down the hall. Well, I don't know for sure. It could have been somebody else who looked exactly like him, I, I suppose. Good answer. Thank you, ma'am. Nothing further. The witness may step down. Ms. Gamble? The Commonwealth rests. Mr. Young? The defense calls Dr. Donald Seidman. Oh, you gotta be kidding. Look, if I can't put on the defense, why don't we just lynch him? Mr. Young is trying to make this about race. Move to strike. Counsel, get up here. But Kittleson knew this was gonna happen. He, he came and told her. Of course. I will hold both of you in contempt if there's another such outburst. Who is Dr. Seidman? He testifies white people can't tell one black man from another. Sorry? He's an expert on cross-racial impairment of eyewitnesses. This has been rejected by other courts, plus Mr. Young gave no notice. I didn't know race would be an issue. You are the one making race an issue. If I can't call this witness, I'll take you up, emergency appeal, and I want a mistrial. You may call Dr. Seidman. You're letting him run your court. I run my court, Miss Gamble. Yeah! <laughs> if Dr. Seidman is a buffoon, I will instruct the jury to disregard. He's Ethan, been fortunately, it's become for clear to me that the only thing Helen will be banging this episode is her head against the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she might bang Kittleson's gavel. For three weeks, and we don't know what he's been charged with. He hasn't been charged with anything. We've got a nice federal and court And how here. and why are you holding him? He's being held as a material witness. We've seen this federal court before. That backdrop uh, is very familiar. We sure have, and we've seen this judge before, played by Larry Brandenburg, but uh, he played the same character all the way back in season one, the episode part one. Nice. Wow. First ep? Uh, I think part one was the second episode. Oh, okay, yes. fair, fair, fair. Yes. To what? That information I can't reveal. How do I represent him if I can't be told why he's being held? This case involves information obtained through the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Mr. McNally, I appreciate your concern for national security, but I'm going to do my part to safeguard what is left of our Constitution. Get Mr. Habib into this courtroom. Let him see his lawyer and his wife, and we are going to make sure that he gets at least some kind of hearing. Your Honor, I don't think you have the authority to Counsel, these are strange times, and nobody is quite sure who has what authority. I grant you, but you don't want to be testing mine. If I don't see Mr. Habib in this room with his lawyer and his wife, you are going to be held in contempt. Okay. Thank you. Good job. 
Many eyewitnesses have a hard time correctly identifying suspects who are of another race. We call that cross-racial impairment. Is it common? Very. How do you know? From my work as a clinical psychologist, from my review of over 50 years of empirical studies on the subject. Are certain people more likely to suffer from this impairment? People unfamiliar with members of the race in question. They don't see black people very often. Suddenly they have to identify one. They're more likely to pick the wrong one. Thank you, doctor. This doctor is played by Ned Schmidtke. Ned Schneebly? Yes, Ned Schneebly. Blacks all look alike. Is that your scientific opinion? Objection. Sustained. Doctor, did you talk to Mrs. Salatkin about her identification of the defendant? No. Are you aware that there's no agreement in the scientific community that cross-racial impairment even exists? Cross-racial impairment is real. When studies confirm what life has already taught us, to me, that's the best proof you can get. Well, is that why many courts have refused to let you testify? Science often outpaces the law, Miss Gamble. A better podcast would actually look up this research. He's trying to hang the jury. Should I call my own experts? I'm afraid the more I attack his defense, the more credible I make it seem. Well, if you do nothing, it looks like you're conceding. Uh, He's made it about race because he's got nothing else. What he does have are four black jurors. Oh, please. And he's black. Race isn't the issue, but it probably won't be. But we can't be so naive as to rule out the possibility. Time for a twist. Feels twisty time, Keith. She can walk all along. Don't look at me like I'm having fun. Have you looked at the crime scene photos, Eugene? I've seen them. Look, you know it's an appointment, so... Oh, come on. Spare me the just doing my job crap. Good lawyers manage without going racial. My client instructed me to put on a defense. That defense? As a matter of fact, yes. If you're here to wiggle off the moral hook... That's not why I'm here. He's going to testify. You'll be suborning perjury. Only if I know he's lying, which I don't. He says he's innocent, Helen. I think we should plead this. Or in the alternative, you should tell the parents not to be there. It won't be easy to hear. I'm not sure him testifying him It would be unethical for me to make a threat. Him, though. Wouldn't it, Helen? I think... Yeah, I don't know that that's Eugene's call. I think the dude wants to testify. Well, I mean, I guess... you can't force somebody not to testify, but I'm I'm just not like from the from the standpoint of just like risk. It seems like a much bigger risk to have him testify because right because right now like having your defendant testify is something you do when you think the prosecution is winning, and I don't know if I do at this point. Once again, I think from my my context clues is only from what has been presented. The the client at that one point says to Eugene. That's all. I think he's thinking Eugene's not pushing the race card enough, and I think that right. the client thinks that by, by being on the stand, he can going to force the hand. Yeah, be in the driver's seat a little bit more. Because I, th- but what what we're what we're missing here, and maybe what this is what this scene is is going for, 
is the scene where Eugene's urging him not to testify. Right. I won't be blackmailed into a plea deal. You done? Yeah, Bert. Done. For your own emotional welfare, I'd say stay out of the room, but... But what? Well, strictly for the case, obviously it's better if you're in there. He'll look more like a monster saying the things he'll probably say with the parents present. What, he's going to attack my daughter? Is that how it works? Yes, it works that way sometimes. We'll be there. Are you sure? Yeah, we'll be there. Okay, but you have to stay under have control. Have we seen him before? My the opinion dad? is this lawyer we would have love not, a mistrial. We have not, but let me use this opportunity there, to introduce the parents. And, uh, you know, just for fun, because I'm tired of the bumper. They get a random bumper. Here it is. <laughs> Keith is pompous. The parents here are played. Uh, the <laughs> wife is played by Brian Gorman as Mrs. McLaughlin, who you might know as Lieutenant Curtis on Star Trek Insurrection Star Trek. And the husband is played by Jody Wood as Mr. McLaughlin. You would know from Halloween H2O, L.A. Confidential, Boston Public, West Wing, and Ally McBeal. You might very well give it to them. Fine. Okay, he's coming in. Dr. Ford, I'm going to ask you not to speak to him or hand him any items. Here comes Mr. Habib. Fucking animal, animal chained. Animal lecturized, practically. Can they have some privacy? No, Dr. Ford is not a suspect. If she talks at all, and it appears like she's trying to pass coded information, she might become one. She's here to observe. Now, that's DOJ rules. You have two children to care for. Don't say anything. Understand? Okay, let's introduce this defendant with another random bumper. Wife was right. Wife was right. I don't care that my ass is leaking. I'm just going to plug it up with money. Millions and millions. Plug my ass with millions. Millions and millions of dollars in my ass to protect it from that anal leakage of slide cause. Some would say we've neutered the impact of this moment with that bumper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bill Habib is played by Ramsey Maliki who uh, actually only has seven credits. It does a good job here. Uh, but you'd know him from Jag and Matchstick Men. Mr. Habib, I'm Rebecca Washington. Um, I'm your lawyer. We're about to have a hearing. I didn't ask for either a hearing or a lawyer. Your wife hired me. She should not have. Is my, is my wife, my sons, are they all right? Have they been harmed? No, we're fine. Would you tell them we're fine, please? Do you have any idea why you're here? Ms. Uh, Washington. Help my wife understand. I did what I did because it was right. 
hell are you talking about? Tell the judge I'm ready to proceed. I'd Ooh, see her in the park by campus, you know, just jogging. I'd wave. One time she stopped and we just talked a little. Tell us about your relationship. We'd meet late at night when nobody was around. So, so far, we're about over halfway through here. I have to say I'm intrigued because the, the, the writers have very adeptly set, set the stage here. Coming in with all of our biases and with all of kind of the context of the moment, we now, we now are, are, we think we're fighting for this guy, for, for, for Mr. Habib, and that he's being mistreated in some way. Mm -hmm. But then they flip that scene, which makes us think, oh, wait, did he do something nefarious? So now we're off kilter. Perfect. Right. In the other case, everything leads us to believe Eugene's attitude, the, the whole way that, that the, the client asked for a certain defense, that he is a guilty person. And already in the first couple lines of this, uh, of his testimony, he seems sincere. It could very well be that he, we've come in with this preconceived notion of guilt, or perhaps maybe... Are we giving him the benefit of the doubt? Maybe he is innocent. Yeah. So I'm going to rewind a little bit so we can hear his full his full testimony. But uh, at the proper point in the episode, heading into, I guess, the, the, the back third of the episode, our preconceived notions are challenged now, which is awesome, which I think is maybe the meta point, which is the hallmarks of a really well-written episode. Indeed. When it got colder, that's when she started inviting me over to her place. And what would you do there? We talked, watched television. After a while, we started having sex. She said, well, she said she always wanted to be with a black man. So, you know. Turning your attention to November 19th, the day Miss McLaughlin was killed. Did you see her that day? Yes. Outside the market, I offered to carry her bags like I've done before. But she said she couldn't see me anymore. Did she say why? No. So I followed her, just trying to talk. When we got to her apartment, she said she was seeing another guy. I begged her not to break us up. We argued for a little bit, and she said that she loved me. Did you make love to her that day, sir? Yes. Afterwards, she said she was going to break up with that other guy that night, that he was supposed to be coming over that night. When I left, she was alive. Thank you, sir. It's a, it's, well, it is a, that's a story. Right? Do you know yeah. if anyone ever saw you two at the park the day you met? I don't know. Do you know if anyone ever saw you at the apartment? No, I always came over there late at night. Anyone know anything about the relationship? No, she liked to keep it secret. So nobody can verify a single part of your story? I guess because of our different social places or whatever you want to call it. You know, she just liked to keep it between us. Mr. Johnson, this is your booking photo. This is what you looked like the day after Linda McLaughlin was killed. Is that correct? Objection, relevance. Overruled. I was upset when that picture was taken. You were homeless, filthy, off your meds, yet you expect us to... I'm not crazy. You expect the jury to believe the victim fell in love with this, mm. voluntarily had sex with this. That's not gonna 
that plays into the hands of the defense. It sure does. I mean, that feels very racially charged. So, I mean, like, you. Th- so a, a nice white lady's gonna... S- are you saying, sir, that a nice white lady is going to have sex with a stinky man, a stinky homeless man? I mean, that's the translation, that's a, right? That's exactly what she's saying. Yeah. Willingly invited this into her apartment, her life, her bed. Objection. Sustained. Linda was a beautiful person. She loved all kinds of people. She didn't care what they looked like. Swing and a miss, Helen. Swing. What was she trying to do? Enrage him? Probably. Dehumanize? I don't know. That seems like a fucking switch. You need to call that Collins girl. I don't know. It could end up backfiring on us with some of the jurors. We can't afford to be that sensitive, Helen. We try and be PC here. We lose. Collins refutes what Johnson just testified to. She's all we have to refute it. Part of our strategy is presenting sympathetic parents. Well, it can't be about that now. It's about showing there was never a relationship between Johnson and the victim. Period. You know Eugene's ready for her. We have no choice. We need that witness. Call her. Yes, we had to point it out. That's Bill Simitrovich. Do you know why uh, you're in custody? The government believes I may have information about someone I think I don't really know. He didn't do anything, but he may have known some people with ties to others who are wanted for questioning. What information? What do they think you know? Objection. Sustained. You can't know that, Ms. Washington. You haven't talked to your family in weeks. Why did they keep you from talking to your family? They didn't. I chose not to call my family. Why? I was told anyone I spoke with would be subject to investigation. I do not want to bring my family into this. My, my wife and children were born here. They have no connection to any Arab other than me. Have you been interviewed? Many times. Did you know you had the right to have an attorney present? I waived my rights. You waived them voluntarily? I talked to them on my own. They didn't force me, not in any way. Did they make you afraid? Am I fearful? I guess I would say yes, but I have made all my decisions voluntarily. You voluntarily refused to speak to your family? I explained that. I didn't want to involve them. Calling your wife to say you're okay? That would involve her? I couldn't be sure it wouldn't. Mr. McNally, if Mr. Habib is not a suspect and he's cooperating, why can't he go home? We're learning new information all the time. From wiretaps, overseas contacts, he may know more than even he realizes. But he'll stay available to you. He's not going anywhere. He volunteered to help. We can't risk losing him. Look. We are trying to get the information we need to stop the potential murder of thousands of Americans. That means depriving some Americans of their civil rights. I don't like it, but that's how it is. You are imprisoning. Uh, that is one hell of a thesis statement. Not inaccurate, but damn the balls to say that on te- on national television a month after. Well, it, the the people doing it, yeah, were saying that. Yeah, it's like fair. It, it like that that wasn't the subtext of what was happening at that point that was the text yeah you know it's 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 when you go back and we were we were we were wrestling with that as a nation we still are right that was this is the turning this is a is a fulcrum where we some of us we were we we were posed posed the question look people were going through our shit 
as, as long as email has existed, no doubt. But this is when we first became either willing or aware that all of our shit electronically, yeah. uh, us walking down the street was going to forever just be watched and you were either okay with it or you had to get okay with it. You know what well, I mean? It, it was It was two things. Like one, it was the end of privacy as we knew it. But it was also a time in which the the pendulum bouncing back and forth between whether or not the ends justify the means or not, like was was very much on the on the side of like, you know, like whatever, get it done, keep us safe. I don't care who you're disenfranchising, what we're doing to the Constitution, what we're doing to innocent people. And you know that that sort of bounces back and forth as as time goes by. But right now, it was very much on the side of of uh, you know ends justify the means. An innocent man, Miss Washington. Enough. If my country thinks I should be here, Entirely I will stay here. Back at it. Your country. Yes, I am an American. I am serving my country. Mr. Habib, have you been tortured? No. Have you been mistreated physically in any way? No. And no. you do not oppose being held further? I do not. Your Honor, please in wait. Washington, I'm sorry. In war, law is silent. Habeas motion is denied. Mr. Habib shall remain in custody. And that, kids, if you pause it right there, the title of the of the episode, Inter Arma Silent Lieges, translated is For Among Times of Arms, The Law Falls Mute, or more popularly, popularly rendered as In Times of War, The Law Falls Silent. There is no way Linda McLaughlin was dating that man. You know this. We were real close. If she was dating someone, I'd know. Well, to your knowledge, was she dating anyone? Objection, speculation. Goes to rebuttal, we can refute the existence of a relationship. Proceed. She wasn't dating him, I'm sure. How do you know? We talked about it, about interracial relationships on occasion. She said, she said she wouldn't date African Americans, ever. Those were her exact words. Yes. Among other things, she said her parents would have a big problem with it, particularly her dad. This is something you just Thank are you, happy Scott. to admit on the stand? Uh, truth, while we're doing it, truth. this actress is played, <clears throat> this witness is played by Jamie Lauren, who was also on Boston Public in Seventh Heaven, who was the, also similar to last week, she uh, tragically drowned at the age of 31. Rest in peace. Um, mm. But once again, I'm dismayed by Helen's lack of preparation. Clearly, she witnessed this. She she interviewed this witness. Clearly, she, I don't want to say coached, but they they worked through some things. And once again, you're going to, yes, I, I understand that the testimony of, oh, she said she'd never date a black guy is powerful. But because she said, but then followed by, because my, my dad would get real mad, plays right into the the defense, at least the, the reasonable doubt defense that, oh, she didn't tell anybody because her dad would be pissed. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not sure how much this witness is helping, you know, either side really, but, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, you didn't live with her, did helping you? Helen. No. So it's possible she was seeing him without you knowing. No, that's not possible. How can you know that? 
Because of what she said. That her parents would have a problem with her dating a black man. Yes. Especially her father. Yes. Her father's a racist, isn't he? Objection. Goes to bias. What bias? The victim concealed her relationship with my client because she feared her father, who hates black people. Objection. I'm warning you both for the last time. Mr. Young, move on. Ms. Collins. Why is that not relevant? When you and Linda McLaughlin spoke of interracial relationships, what was your position on the matter? I was against them, too. So, Linda, knowing this, maybe she didn't want you to find out about her and Daryl either. Objection, speculation. Overruled. Maybe because she knew you were a bigot, Miss Collins, Linda just said she didn't want to date a black man. Objection. That is more than enough, Mr. Young. The witness may step down. I mean, Helen led her into that. Sure did. So we have to, I'm left with either that's just poorly written because they didn't, they didn't, write it such that Helen did her due diligence or Helen didn't do her due diligence. You know what I mean? And she's playing into the hands of the defense and Eugene is just masterfully, well, you I, know, for someone I, who didn't want to do, do this case, he's putting, he's putting together one hell of a case. Maybe it turns well, out he just like found out, Oh God, he wanted to play the race car cause he was fucking right. It, it's, it's possible. Or at the very least it's a, it's a good defense. And, I, but I think like, I, I think from Helen's and, and Simitrovich's, I forget his character's name, uh, point of view, they thought the fact that they could get testimony that this woman was racist was going to be more in their favor than us thinking, oh, well, that's why she didn't tell anybody. Mm. Uh, And, you know, sometimes... So... I guess that's the justification for that, but I don't know. Like, it certainly, Eugene left the door wide open for Eugene. You know Eugene's going to go through that door. I assume the party's rest. We have a rebuttal witness. And who is that? Joe McLaughlin, the victim's father. Objection. I have legitimate reasons to call him. Name one. The DA's own witness just said the daughter had a motive to hide her relationship from her father. I'm allowed to pursue that. I would ask the court for time to consult with Mr. McLaughlin. You can't have that right. He's my witness. Enough. Mr. McLaughlin. Sometimes you got to quit while you're ahead. After lunch, you will take the stand. Yeah, see, and now I think that is a strategic mistake by Eugene. Mm-hmm. Because if you tear up the victim's father on the stand, then you're putting more sympathy back on the victim. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm gonna retract my critique of the writing because I, I feel like now they're both overplaying their hands. And it's clear, they've put it through various scenes, that they're kind of impassioned. They're sort of like they're having a personal tete-a-tete as well. So right. I think it, it plays to that, that they're kind of overdoing it each a little bit or underdoing it as it were to be to be fair though with only 10 minutes left i'm a little more interested in the other case and i'm not not quite satisfied with with what we're the time we have left to explore it so we'll see no you swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god i do be seated Mr. McLaughlin, did you pressure your daughter not to date black men? I asked you a question, sir. 
My daughter was killed by that man sitting right there. Move to strike non-responsive. Instruct the witness to answer the question. Sustained. The jury will disregard. Please answer the question, Mr. McLaughlin. I never pressured my daughter not to date black men. Well, was she mistaken or, or did she lie? When she told Bessie Collins that you would have trouble with her having an interracial relationship like the one she had with my client. Objection. There was no relationship with your client. Was she afraid to tell you about it? Objection. I'm not a racist, Mr. Young. But you were against interracial relationships. Like any father, I wanted my daughter to have a good life. I was really worried about interracial relationships because they were subject to bigotry, hatred for the couple. I mean, for the kids. I see. So, to protect her from bigots, you decided to become one. Objection. Withdrawn. She knew you'd disapprove if she did date a black man, didn't she, Mr. McLaughlin? She never dated that man. Because if she did, she would have told you all about it, right? Knowing how open-minded you can be. If he's black, it had to be rape. Right, Mr. McLaughlin? Objection. Sustained. He agreed to be held. For what? He didn't do anything. Are they torturing witnesses now, Rebecca? I cannot believe that. I mean, I've read it in the papers. Maybe the CIA is doing that now. You ask the question yourself. Doctor, you know your husband, his personality, his demeanor. Did he seem like maybe he'd been tortured? He seemed... He seemed what? Intent on proving his loyalty to America. Desperate to prove it. <clears throat> Closing arguments are not evidence. Oh, Nothing but the lawyers they said do, however, is evidence. Get a bumper! It's closing time Time to put your case to bed Your verdict must be based solely on evidence. They had an affair. Supercut. The prosecution refuses to believe it. Why? The man in the parking lot sees a black man with a white woman and assumes he's hassling her. The woman in the hallway can't tell one black man from another, so the prosecution would have you believe that the only relationship that could be between a black man and white woman is killer and victim. The defendant was seen arguing with her in the parking lot. A witness watched him follow her home, angry. He was seen coming out of Linda's apartment. His prints were on the murder weapon. His semen was found in the victim. Neither the race of the defendant nor the victim should have any bearing on your verdict. It is irrelevant and must not be considered by you in any way. Linda McLaughlin had a motive to deny her relationship with my client. She feared her father. Her father doesn't like black people. There's no evidence to suggest someone else killed her. No one else's prints were found anywhere in the apartment. The evidence points only to the defendant. Of course, his prints were on the lamp. 
He would visit her. He slept with her. They only looked for one defendant. Daryl Johnson is on trial, ladies and gentlemen, simply because he's black. All we ask is... Honor your oath. You know, there's some information once again, I wish I knew, like, because I understand what I, I fully get what's being presented here. But like, did we hear, was there any signs of rape outside of his semen was in her? Was there signs of a struggle? Was there, was there bruising? Was there? The, it actually was there. Eugene got the pathologist to point out there were no um, signs of rape. There was no vaginal bruising or tearing. There was a bludgeoning from the lamp, but there... But in turn, there weren't the physical signs of it, of rape specifically. I just feel like there is plentiful, reasonable doubt in this case. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I have, I have, I have thoughts. I'm saving them, though. Once again, it's like what we've seen, right? What's been presented to us. Right. Hey. Hey. Oh, hey, Lindsay. <laughs> What's happening? Get that paycheck, Nothing. bitch. He's in custody. He's instructed me not to challenge it, and he's staying in custody. For how long? I, I don't know. The case is over. I'm working on the Neely interrogatories now, anyway. Okay. Cam Neely? You all right? Why wouldn't I be all right? Ted Neely? Rebecca. <laughs> Make this cup away from me. Rebecca. You were singing We're back too much. To in turning people. Yeah. Ted Moore kind of whispers these days. Well, he's like 150 years old playing a 33-year-old. I saw well, I saw him in that tour uh maybe maybe 2010, so 11 years ago, and he was wearing like 17 head mics. So they could just like <laughs> they could somehow pick up the audio that came out of his mouth. No, fair enough. Sticking them in prison because of where they were born. It happened in World War II with the Japanese Americans, and it's back. I mean, the government will apologize for it later, but then it'll be too late. Innocent people are having their lives ruined now. Well, they'll, uh, spoiler alert, Rebecca, they're never going to apologize. <laughs> right. Mr. Habib, he thinks being a good American is giving up your rights, not fighting for them. Well, it took us like 50 years to apologize for internment, so. Mm -hmm. Most people know that Arab Americans are Americans, Rebecca, and that they're our neighbors. But everyone's afraid. We don't know who we know and who we don't know, and we're afraid. Tough shit. That's why we have laws. Yeah. It's really a, a, we're a perfect, I don't want to say perfect, it's a great snapshot of that moment in time. Really yeah. good writing, I think. Yeah. And it's not overplaying a hand, you know what I mean? It's not on no, one or no. the other. And, and, and I think tying it to internment is exactly the right connection there. All right, we'll, we'll talk more about it in the UFCs, yeah. but I, I I love that part of it. I mean, I don't love it, obviously. But. It's not over-editorialized. We are in the, I guess, the verdict room of the Eugene case, Eugene Helen. Let the record reflect that the parties are present and that the jury has returned. The defendant will please rise. 
We don't usually get the jury Mr. coming. Mr. Foreman, as to the no. charge of murder in the first degree, I'll say you. Your Honor, the jury has a statement. You have a what? We were told it was our civic duty to serve on a jury because the Constitution guarantees every defendant the absolute right to be judged by a jury of his peers. This is not a forum for public... We were told that the American system, for all its flaws, is the best system in the world because of the concept of the citizen jury. Move for immediate reading of the verdict. But what we found... Sir! You have one more chance before you risk a finding of contempt. Have you all agreed on a verdict? What we've agreed on is that this has been about the most appalling spectacle we have ever seen. The only thing that should matter in here is, did the defendant or did he not commit the crime? Nobody here cares, not her, not him, and not you. Nothing that's gone on here has been about giving the jurors the information they need to make the right decision. Remember that thing I said about over-editorializing? <laughs> a girl is dead. A man's freedom is at risk. Is if James he McDonald, killed her, his liberty should be forfeited. And we're supposed to decide. Based on what, exactly? We want justice for the victim. But we can't provide it. Are you saying you cannot reach a unanimous verdict? No, Your Honor. What we're saying is we refuse to try. We have not reached a verdict. We will not reach a verdict. If you want to hold us in contempt, well, there's a certain justice in that because contempt is what we feel. in contempt security would you please take the jury into custody i declare this a mistrial ms gamble you may ask for a date to begin the retrial we're adjourned i've now watched that twice in the last two days and i still don't quite get it We'll get I mean, it in the oopsies, but yeah. go ahead. Keith and, Keith and Mike, thoughts? <laughs> Nobody's happy. Back to the B-roll before the wrap-up. <clears throat> the judge allowed me to withdraw. So, for the next trial, you have my best wishes. Thank you. Well, they certainly reached a verdict on us, anyway. Yep. Got a little ugly, but I don't think we were that out of line. It's a trial. What do they expect? I don't know. You know jurors. 
can't beat ourselves up over this, Eugene. Nope. Because the show's going to do it high. for you. Heads high. Slow pan. Oh, we're not getting resolution for anything. No, indeed. And that and scene with Lindsay and Rebecca didn't really do anything for... It was just resignation, basically. Well, and uh, I think that's... What else did we have? I mean, there, yeah. there is no continuation of that story in that environment. All right. Well, Keith just and I are going to do the, do the wrapping up for you in a little end segment we call uh, the after show. That, I mean, we do now, I guess. <laughs> okay, the after it's not show? Just, it's not just the oopsies anymore. We have like a whole thing. We have like a whole dog and pony show before we even get there. That's true. That's true. All right, well, okay. I'm going to pee, and then we'll uh, let's meet back here, Keith, and talk about it. Okay, very good. And we are back, baby! Yes, indeed. We have just watched the practice season nine episode, season six, episode nine, Inter Arma, Silent Lieges. We now know what it means, but Mike is going to summarize it all for us twice. First up, with, wait, wait, I got to find it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Why can't I find it? I do this every week. Oh, here we go. 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show. America's pissed, baby, because, you know, 9-11 and stuff. And so there's a client that Rebecca has, but she can't meet him because national security. And she's like, what's going on? And like, and then he's like, no, it's cool because I, I'm an American and I don't want them to think anything. And so like, yeah, that's about it. And then Eugene is playing the race card and it seems like he still actually has a pretty good case because it seems like there is some racism involved. But then the jury's like, nah, fuck that. You guys are fighting too much. Yes. Well, fair enough. And uh, could you do the same thing, but just in fewer syllables? Mm, sure. Eugene race card plea. National security. Mission accomplished? Hmm. 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 Very profound. Very profound, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you want to know what else is profound? It's a segment. Ladies and gentlemen. The Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now... Here are your hosts, Keith and Mike. What the hell are the oopsies? Well, Jackie, they're an awards show that begins every week with... Most Keith, something tells me the oopsies this week are going to be 
challenging? Hmm. <laughs> Would you like me to go first, Michael? Yes. Okay. Uh, most valuable lawyer. I I don't think I don't think you can give it. Well, you, I, I, there's an argument for Eugene because they pretty His much not going to prison. The currently. client is not going to prison, and it seemed like at the outset that he was very definitely going to go to prison for murder, and he at least is temporarily not doing that. But my argument is for Rebecca, and she had an impossible task. Uh, she was going up against the federal government who would not, who would barely even acknowledge that they had her client, and at great personal risk, I mean, to be a part of this, like the government investigates you just for being a lawyer for a client in this situation, while she was not able to resolve it in a satisfactory way, like she was able to help the person get out or at least get a trial because, you know, what's what was happening then and it's still happening. You know, some of these people they just picked up, they still don't have a trial. They're still just in prison. They, it's it's in, The lack of due process is astounding. But at the very least, she was able to give his wife some more information. His wife, at the end of it, at least knew what the fuck was happening. And there's a lot that was not able to be uncovered. I thought she, you know, the question about torture was uh, an an, unopened, unanswerable question at that point. But she did at least give the wife some idea what's going on, which has to be better than just my husband was randomly disappeared and I'll never know what happened. Yes. Um, I definitely agree. It's a shame we don't have most unlikely lawyer because the the jury firm, foreman sure got a closing statement, didn't he? He sure did, yeah. But I think that you are you are right. I think it's Rebecca for all the reasons you stated and because I can't make a strong enough case for anyone else. Okay. Congratulations, Rebecca, on your on your wholehearted case and a lack of effort from Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Lack of strong case uh, for your M V L. It's now time for <clears throat> stretch. I didn't stretch last week, and I think my back is still out. Already famous because you've been on TV, getting a paycheck. First entry on your IMDb. Stop! 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 What the hell? Well, you got it. You're lagging a little bit, Keith, and it and it made me upset. So I was <laughs> trying to fix it, even though that was probably um unnecessary. You know what I mean? Oh, you know it's, it's sometimes it's not just not going to happen the way we want it to. Just because I lag doesn't mean I don't love. Hold on, I'm going to try to fix it anyway because now you're frozen. No, I think we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay, I Mike. I promise. All right. Should we try again? Even if I'm a little frozen. Okay. Uh-huh. Take. Already famous because you've been on TV Getting a paycheck First entry on your IMDb Way to go But you're the best guest actor You are the best guest actor You are the best guest actor on the episode Um, you know, I think that, uh Mr. Habib was really good, and also his mm-hmm. wife, uh, I thought, were both very compelling. I thought Jerry Foreman made a strong case at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, James but, McDonald. 
James McDonald, but I, I, I do think that also, how do we do, how is the new, how is the new district attorney? Is he, what do we Bill Simitrovich is, yeah. would be a guest actor. Okay. He was excellent, but he didn't really do as much. Uh, so I think I'm going to go with the wife who was played by. The wife was played by Jessica Steen. Which getting an oopsie on her reappearance on the episode is pretty spectacular. I don't know if that's happened before. So. And folks, I, I'm I'm just going to say quickly for the sake of quickness, uh, I completely agree. I thought she was tremendous in the episode uh, and deserves the oopsie. But I think it's important. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the very first unprecedented double oopsie winner for playing two separate characters. Wow. Can you believe this? Jessica Steen played the sister in season four, episode six, Marooned, and now has won a second oopsie as a returner playing Dr. Sarah Ford. Unbelievable. That's some big doings. Yeah, that's really incredible. That's really incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. Like that's a uh, we have here we are in uh, season six have something unprecedented happen. So uh, there it is, big big doings. What's next in the big doing category? Uh, this doing. You killed your podiatrist or blew Oops. the case. That's wrong. But you let a single tear run down your face. I did your you're tear because you're you're distracted. Actor it's all falling apart. That's not what I want. That's not what I want. This is what I want. Give it to me. <laughs> Mike is fighting tech, and I can see the depression behind his <laughs> eyes. Um, Don't let the tech destroy you. You know, <sighs> Laughlin Boyle and Steve Harris are great in this episode. I really yeah. think Rebecca is the is the best actor. I really think, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Lisa Hamilton. I really think she had a much more intricate, nuanced uh, arc. I don't, not even an arc. Uh, intentions to play because she was she was going into uncharted waters, and so there was sort of like while she had to be uh, stern and fight for her client, there was a there was a, a befuddlement. And an inquisitiveness and a sort of a fish out of waterness to her performance because this is un uncharted waters, especially at the time, and that's something uh, you have to really make some bold choices as an actress to to start to cover ground that is uh, very very fresh and and very hot topic issues. So uh, I'm going to go with Lisa Hamilton. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I thought, I thought Steve Harris was great in this episode. Um, he always is. Uh, but I, I do, I think it's Lisa Gay. I think she, she has, has always been and continues to be the moral authority of the show. And, um, I thought her, this arc for her, it really made sense that this was her arc that that this this really matches the character well um and it's you know it, it's a little bit more about the writing than about her performance but i thought her 
her final paragraph then comparing um, what was happening after 9-11 to the Japanese internment after and during World War II, I thought was really important, both for this episode, but also in general, to be to have that be put out into the ether already that soon after 9-11, I thought was very, very important. So uh, I agree. Congratulations, Lisa Gay Hamilton, on your best actor. Oopsie. Which brings us to... The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Uh, last week was great. Uh, you're not going to see it, but uh, go to our Instagram, at Out of Practice Podcast. Out of Practice Podcast. I don't remember what it was, but I will have done it by the time this airs. I think it, was, it had something to do with another baby. I think we made Tom Brady a baby again. I think maybe? so. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Uh... Uh, this week, let's. Uh... Oh, man. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you have danger Will Robinson on both cases. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Hmm. Because I want to throw this to Keith, I'm going to keep it thanks. vague and say this week it's Patriot Brady. Patriot Brady. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because Which is the, ironic. Uh, Mr. Mr. Habib was a, a proud American, and I'm sure mm-hmm. Mr. Brady is too. So let's see how Keith pulls that off. And, you know, to be fair, Brady did spend 21 years as a patriot. I know I'm giving so. you an out. I'm going to see how <laughs> Keith editorializes this one. Mm, okay. Interesting. Patriot Brady, congratulations for your Tom Brady award for being Tom Brady. All right. Let's get to it. Let's get in it. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to stay on the two shot here because this is a conversation we need to have because there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to start with case. So as a whole, I really was compelled. As I mentioned halfway through, I thought it was deftly handled uh, by the writing, the directing, the performances. Nothing was, you know, a lot of times they run the risk of, as I've said many times, over editorializing. And I didn't feel like that was happening at first. Um, especially in the A case, uh, well, uh, let's call it the B case, I guess, the Mr. Habib case, the federal, the mission accomplished case, if you will. Because as we mentioned, it's, it's very, it was, it's very, uh, current at the time, right? And, and looking back, it's like a perfect time capsule of sort of the varying sentiments of the country, of the legal system at the time. There was a lot of obfuscation. Uh, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of secrecy, a lot of telling people they have rights, but in reality, denying them of their rights. And how a do we handle that? A lot of just that? flat out racism. Yeah, that too. Um, so I and I think that it's, it's presented. You know, though artistically and with some license, very reality-based at the moment. And the questions that are raised are all questions we were dealing with. And I thought that the way it's presented and the way it's not ended, just kind of, it's just a lot of questions presented and points made. And I think that's kind of where we were. And I think it's fair. And I and I enjoyed, well, I don't want to say enjoyed, I appreciated that we didn't, 
give it some sort of ending that wasn't earned or that would, would not have rang true. Um, because as it turns out, many of those questions and issues remain. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the performance of, of Mr. Habib, uh, because, and the wife, that whole interplay, Ramsey because, yep. because it, it was, it felt authentic and it's felt strained and it was tortured and that's it. Right. I mean, we don't know for sure that this guy didn't, I mean, and I actually like that they left the question mark as to what is his role in all of this? And that's and that's kind of a point that is made, I think, purposefully, is that by denying all of this uh, uh, information and denying any sort of interaction between the lawyer and him, we are left with just the possibility of nefarious action. The question of maybe he did do something, but that is sort of manufactured because he's not accused of anything, right? Right. It's right. just innuendo and and uh, scary maybes, which isn't at all what this shit's supposed to be based on. Which I think is obviously the point and is scary, right? Yeah. Uh, so mission accomplished, as far as what it's trying to present. I think the episode presents it. Uh, yeah. effectively yeah so, well and and i i'll i'll chip in my thoughts on this half and then we'll yes. talk about the other half um yeah no i i agree with you i i i really like that they told this story i like that they told the story from this point of view i like the characters they chose for this uh, i think they you know it, it is as i've said many times before the type of episode that I react to the most, pointing out an injustice, pointing out a flaw in the system, pointing out, giving us something to think about, about how our system is not working for us. And and I think um, the timeliness of it was, was very, uh, is not lost on me. And the fact that, um, again, they had to film this in November of 2001 and probably write it in October. I mean, this, this happened very quickly and I thought explored it in a very, um, in, in, in an, in an honest and truthful way, in a way that has stood up to the test of time. Like this situation was, you know, they were right. This is exactly what was happening and worse. And, um, and and it was an injustice then, and it was an injustice now. And we all know that it was an injustice now, but it was still controversial then whether or not that was an injustice. And it it planted its flag, and I think so, on the right side of history. So I, I very much appreciated that part of it. So uh I those are my thoughts on on that. What what, what did you what did you take <laughs> from the A case here? Uh, well, before we jump to the A case, I, I, I do question, I'm curious as to whether there was a conversation in the writer's room and and what changes as far as impact and how it was received at the time and now, had this been the exact same episode, except or exact same case or half of the episode, but his, his family and wife were also of Arab descent, Arab Americans, mm. right? Like, do we let ourselves off the hook? Are we making, is the point strengthened by the fact that she, she, uh, she was, uh, she's I mean, white, a, yeah. Yeah, she's a white lady. Uh, or is that just a way to like ease the the audience into the, uh, well, okay, he must be a good guy because it's, you know, he, 
Like, I, I'm curious if that's clearly that's an a con- interesting point. Yeah, it's clearly I, a conscious I, I, choice. But what what was the what what's the impetus of it? Yeah. Well, I. I I wonder if there is something there that does not speak highly of what the show thought of its audience's capacity for empathy um, by like, let us, let's walk you in here. Let's spoon feed you a little bit into this. And uh, I, I wonder, I wonder. And if, if using, using the white lady as the bait to pull you into this story, uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I, yeah. I would be very curious to be a fly on the wall of that writer's room. And and I wonder if it would be necessary to do that today. Mm-hmm. You know, the, Rebecca's righteousness, you know, would that have been just as pure? Would, that, would she have been more apt? I'd like to believe that it wouldn't have affected her, but it's curious. It's a curious, there's I no think, answer. I don't think it would have affected Rebecca's. But right. maybe Joe, average Joe American, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's also interesting it's that they chose question. to. You think that Jimmy is going to have more of a, a a a part in the narrative there because it seems like oh this is a very Jimmy play this sort of conservative viewpoint, but they 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 backed away from it because I don't think he was really necessary. Um, no, well, and they, it, it's interesting that they gave the final summation of the well we're scared to Lindsay which yeah. I which I guess would not be Jimmy's perspective that would be because Jimmy's perspective would be like would be more like America justification keep us safe mm-hmm. and Lindsay's bringing in the fact that we're all scared which we were and you know that the message there of course is that like yeah of course we're all scared and that is understandable and un, and 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 uh, we're all feeling it and of course but our legal system, is specifically designed to not take your emotions into the law. The law is the law and our emotions are emotions, both of which are important and should be valued, but they should not be, one should not be influencing the other. Okay. So moving on to the A case. So what, you know, up until like the final moments, I actually, what I, what I thought, what they, they took a, a practice trope and they turned it on its head because generally speaking, the, uh, we presume our our client as innocent, and it, it turns. But but there's a good case against him, and it turns out that Eugene's able to sort of like use some race card issues or point or point out race issues to get our client off, right? Because he's he's I don't want to say cutthroat, but he's really sk- he's a skilled litigator and he's impassioned with those issues and whatnot. This time they flip it on its head a bit, at least in my viewing, this first viewing of it that. It seems like he's making an assumption of guilt of his client, and he doesn't want mm-hmm. to be there, and he doesn't want to make the race card. He's either evolved, or it feels a little gross to him, or it feels out of place, and and so he's forced into it. And then in in being as good as he is, he actually presents a really what I think is a really solid case. Like nothing he says seems forced. None of the witnesses he call he he makes it a a, a cogent case for some racial bias and at least some reasonable doubt, right? We can talk, well, we're going to talk about whether we think there was enough reasonable doubt or whatnot. Now, the, and we've seen it before in the crack. This is, this is not, there's nothing egregious about this particular case other than the, like, 
they try to make the claim, well, this guy was like, he wasn't just a black guy. He was like a homeless black guy, like a stinky homeless guy. Right. Here's, look at this mugshot. He looks like a thug and a stinky homeless person. Like, so it's clear, like, so that felt gross a little bit. But it, and the only added difference, but you see this before, is that there's a there's a lot more sort of like personal sniping between the, the, the lawyers and and objections and Kittleson had to step in a bunch of times and like maybe that's what the jury but you know just as I'm giving all this credit about really playing it down the middle in the in the other case here the jury thing like you said betwixt the two of us we can't even really make up a, a solid argument for what the hell that's even supposed to mean yeah like and that, that's it felt what a little I was bit like with. racism Racism has nothing is not a part of this conversation. It's always a part of the conversation to this uh, very day. So what what is the what is the righteousness on their part? Uh, yeah, and I I didn't get it. Like honestly, like I I I was sort of like, oh, this is an interesting case up until the the weird speech at the end by the jury, which was clearly what the writers were, were you know, it was so clear that they the writers' backwards. voice were coming directly from the jury. Mm -hmm. But I still don't understand the point they were trying to make, really. Because, like, if if this if this case, this episode is supposed to be sort of some condemnation of making race a part of this trial, they did a really bad job of showing it. Because I thought that what Eugene did was a good defense of his client. And, you know, yes, I, I think we are led to believe that the client is probably guilty. Um, but if he's not, right, let's say that the client's story is true, that they actually were having a consensual relationship and the murder happened coincidentally with their having that relationship. Well, if, if that's true, then... Eugene has proven very clearly that race would have played a part in that. And that's, and it's, it is not, you know, it, I, whether or not I believe it is more or less likely, it is part of a coherent story. Like the, the story that he told of them having this sort of secret relationship and whatever, like, I don't know how necessarily likely it is, but it's not impossible. And it is a, a fully thought out, coherent story. Well, we've so, seen we've seen way more implausible defense defenses and and uh, accusations on the show. So it's not oh, even like absolutely. they. You know what I mean? I mean, plan being the butler, whatever. All of these situations where I think the behavior of the lawyers were far more egregious than this. And, uh, you know, and I think setting aside what the jury said at the end, this was really a case about Helen being bad at her job. And I'll tell you why. Because yeah. Helen allowed this case to become about everything other than the actual evidence, which was murder, his fingerprints on the murder weapon, nobody else there. It's his, like, they can prove that he was there. They can prove he had access and he touched the murder weapon. And there was nobody else that they were able to come up with that could have possibly done it. That's her case. 
if she's a if she's doing her job, whatever they're throwing out about this other stuff, she just dismisses it and goes back to what does that have to do with his fingerprints on the murder weapon? What does that have to do with he was the only one with opportunity? And, and, and so so the witness was racist. Okay, so fine. So who's the other guy? Who who well, so who did she see? It's not just Helen fumbling, right? It's it's also the jury being completely irresponsible because the jury has every capability to come back and ask those questions. Hey, we want to we want to hear the testimony about the can we see the transcript of the testimony about the forensic evidence? X, Y, Z. But instead they're like, "You know what? This we're gross. This was gross. We're out." What? Yeah, and and, and you're even... willing to go to prison for it? And I don't know what's so gross about it. Like right. everything that Eugene did was justifiable. That's They're, another writing room thing. Like, if we're gonna work backwards, like we want to make this statement about race in our in our in our judicial discourse, you work backwards, and you better create a fucking like a case that is so lopsided and has nothing to do with race, and then they make it about race. But this was uh, then they made it a case about race. Well, and it was well, and and it it makes me wonder, like, is is this about? white people's discomfort with having to factor in that race is a much bigger factor in a lot more things than they're comfortable thinking about. Like, is, yeah, yeah. is, is this like, like, uh, cause like if people like, like, Oh, playing the race card, playing the race card. It's so terrible. It's so bad. Well, it's probably just, if, if you're, if you're even using the word race card over and over again, I think it's probably just speaks to your discomfort with having to acknowledge your privilege or acknowledge the fact that race plays a bigger role in our society than you'd like to think it is. Like, you know, it's it's the whole idea of like, I'm colorblind. I don't see race. Well, that that idea is now so backwards. And so and so like the 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 weird, awkward justification of somebody who benefits from from racial disparities or injustice in some fashion. So that it like, if that's what this is real, if that is really the point of view of the writer's room, if that's, if that's really what's happening here, like, Oh, you like you, you messed up this thing by making me uncomfortable about race. And I don't like that. There's such a divergence from case one and case two in terms of the sort of uh, awareness, social awareness of the writing room. And it's so, it, it's it, it it's confusing. And I think that's why I, 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 I after I watched this and, and noted it, I was like, I'm confused by the point of view of this episode. Right, because the ending, uh, I like, like we said, the ending of that, of the, of the, B case is very it, the the uh, open ended ending of the first case, uh, second case. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> it serves it serves the the greater point, right? It serves the sort of thesis or right. the sentiment, right? Whereas the second case, it feels like well, okay, if we're we're just gonna have open endings here, it, that doesn't serve any point like it doesn't strengthen any point from the case right it's well, just it, seems a cop out well it's but I, you know like the show's point of view means that whether he did it or not is a little bit irrelevant what it's about is condemning eugene's strategy 
and Helen's participation in it. But, you know, again, like, why? <laughs> like, that's his job. Right, and from the jury's perspective, if if you're coming from a place of, you know, she 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 pressed them on it, like, well, this should be about the victim and it's not. Well, by you not make, by you making a, not rendering a verdict, you are either sending a murderer back on the street or you are allowing a innocent man to re-stand trial with different people. Like you're abdicating your responsibility because you're pissed at the lawyers. It, it's still, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, well also, if, if we take race out of it, And right? we're talking about a courtroom, by the way, where Kittleson has shown the penises before, where she's all kinds of crazy stuff. And none of, of those, yeah. yeah, none of those jurors have ever been like, this has been a farce. We're out. No. If you take race out of it, right, and you say, all right, so it's this is about the defense putting up a whole big smokescreen, confusing nonsense uh, to... That's every episode of The Practice. Just, just make a mess out of, you know, and, and make everything ambiguous, right? Okay. So, yeah, all right. I get that's a, a strategy that it, sort of a desperate defense might make. But then the prosecution's job is to get us back on track, focus on what is relevant, focus on what is important. And we know Helen's a good lawyer, right? She's good at that. So if she can't, if she can't get us back on topic and filter through the nonsense, maybe it's not nonsense. Mm. Mm. So I, I don't know. I, I I I I'm confused about the point of view of the show here. I really am. So it's, so we it's have hard to, to render. Adjudicate. We can't do what the jury did. We have to render our verdict. We do. I refuse to say how many tires. <laughs> Although that would be pretty funny. That would be a pretty funny way to end this is to just not deliver the tires. It almost feels like we have to do that, doesn't it? We might have to. Okay, right. folks. We well, refuse. We refuse to give this episode a number of dyers. Though, let me say, in, in earnest, which is very rare, mm, mm. If, if you got it, or you think you got it, and have a, a, a maybe a, you want to pitch to us what you think this was about, and I'm sure there are some of you who might have an opinion, let us know. You're because smarter than us. Yeah, we are a little lost because, uh, you know, that that is. But Keith, let's do something we can do. Mm, let's talk about, uh, we, we know the Easter egg here for Dad. Uh, this is clearly mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished, uh, which we got was. We terrorists. America. Yeah. Let's talk about a person who did not feel any sort of uh, ambiguity. <laughs> feelings. Sorry. Yeah, I was pretty certain about. Uh, their story, their their verdict, uh, regardless of the evidence. I also say nonsense words confidently. Strategery. <laughs> if you want to talk about look, whatever your feelings are, if I think we can all agree that that like aircraft carrier party thing was the fucking stupidest, most fucking stupidest thing. It, well, oh, man. It's so perfectly encapsulated the idiocy of that. The but of course, like under W's like charming idiocy was the incredible darkness and horror that was happening behind the scenes. So whew, what a mess, what a mess. And it's just starting here on the practice. We have a couple more seasons where we're going to be right in the mess of it. But if you would like to talk 
about our mess. Talk about all the stupid stuff we've talked about today. You can join the conversation by emailing outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com, finding us on Facebook and Instagram at outofpracticepodcast. And while you're at it, don't be like us. Render a verdict on the Out of Practice Podcast by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other service of your choice. Kaelson is right there, and she's going to put you in contempt if you do not render a verdict. You know who has rendered a verdict, for better or worse for them, but they are our founding sponsors. They have donated to the Out of Practice Podcast, and they are Jorge Novoa, CloudLover69, Leanne Wrights, Jennifer Masanova, and Kari Kuhn. You can join them by giving us your money once a month <laughs> or just one time. Hmm. You can do so by clicking either of the links that I leave in the show notes. Hey, do you want to help us out a different way? Follow us on the YouTube and find our other show about Star Trek toys and get ready because there's other stuff in the works. If you thought we couldn't get nerdier, you were wrong. At the end of the day, you only have one duty. You don't have to render any sort of judgment. All you got to do is reach down deep and fire off those laser sounds. Laser sounds.